Welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode 28, the first episode of 2021. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you are doing well. We got a lot to cover because it's been almost a month since our last podcast. Uh, the yep. holidays, I hope they treated you well. They treated me well, Willie. Hope they treated you well as well. Oh, Welcome back to the did, show. They did, bro. Thank you. Thank always you. always good to spend some time with family and get rid of that the year known as, as 2020, excuse me. So, anyways, no, seriously. we got a packed show today. We got a lot of stuff to cover, but in a good way because... You know, if if we didn't have a lot, then then this show would be yeah. boring, and you'd be Not stuck all with us. But it's okay. Yeah, you you can't all you can't have it. You know, you can't be happy all the time, and and yeah. you know, some some fan bases can have uh, more happiness than others, more success than others. But that's that's something we'll discuss a little bit later in the show. Um, and that's it's actually a, a good way to lead off the show because there's there's a bit of a mixed bag in in the state of Ohio, specifically the city of Cleveland. Uh, Willie, as the as a resident Ohio slash Cleveland sports fan, I'll let you take this one away. But uh, we got some we got some results over the last few days, and I, I know you want to you want to talk about some of the uh, some of the news coming out of that area. Yeah, uh, it depends. Which do we want to start with the good or do we want to start with the bad? It's up to you. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll leave it up to you. What you want to focus okay. on, I guess. Okay, sure. Well, let's start with the good. Let's start with the good because mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm much more excited to talk about this. Yeah. Um, you know, I love the NFL. I, I really love American football. It's a great sport. But you know, growing up, you know, as a Browns fan, you know, I really had nothing to root for. I think, you know, when you looked at the rankings of, you know, worst ranked, um, professional sports franchises, I think the Toronto Maple Leafs were actually in there, but the Browns were one of them. Mm-hmm. And um. And to see this turnaround, it was just I, I'm just I'm just so happy. And you know, Owen, like I I'm kind of protecting myself, man. Like I think, you know, as an Atlanta sports fan, you've had a lot of uh, tough losses. So, you know, I'm not, you know, really trying to get my hopes up too much, but just the way it happened, I mean, the promise the Browns you know, started off the year with, but then to have COVID hit the team and then lose the Jets and almost, you know, miss the playoffs and the Browns like way possible. And then it's just tough to be a Browns fan, man. You know, week 17, need the win to make the playoffs. They um, stuff Pittsburgh on a two-point conversion to make the playoffs. You know, we get in the playoffs. And I'll tell you what, oh, and like, this is one of my favorite sports memories of all time. I will never, ever forget, you know, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers in the first round because not only even more so than just breaking, making the playoffs and breaking the playoff wind drought, we kicked their ass. I mean, that was a a butt whipping. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, man, I mean, I am so happy we're here to stay. Um, And look, this team is really hot. They have a swagger about them. I think they, you know, they have a really hot offense and a team. I think that could actually give Kansas city a lot of problems. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm just hoping that they don't, you know, uh, lo- epically lose against Kansas City. <laughs> well, so it reminds me of one of those yeah. things. And we talked about this yeah. back in October um, when the Braves yeah. took a 3-1 lead against the Dodgers in the NLCS. Uh, you know, obviously the Chiefs are pretty heavy favorites in any game yes. they're going to play this year. Uh, if they go to the Super Bowl again, they'll probably be favorites in that. I don't think there's a team in the in the NFC that really can seriously challenge them. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if that team is, I mean, maybe, maybe the Saints, maybe the Buccaneers. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think either one of those teams is still on that level. 
Um, especially when when your quarterback is Patrick Mahomes and, and you have the weapons yeah. you do and the experience you do of of being down in the Super Bowl before. I think that that's a really lethal combination. So back to back to the Browns. It's one of those things where you have a a franchise that has certainly exceeded expectations in Kevin Stefanski's first year as head coach. And yeah. that's something that to be positive about. At the same Absolutely. time, say the Browns go up, you know, two, three scores against Kansas City in the first half. And they go into the second half thinking we're two quarters away from making it to the AFC championship game. And the yeah. Browns, Browns haven't played a game that big in, I mean, right. in my lifetime, maybe, maybe we were, you know, we were babies at that point. But still, it's one of those things where this is a very new feeling for this generation of Browns fans. And yep. lifelong fans like... My dad, your dad, I'm sure, they've been waiting for this Absolutely. for so long. I can't and tell you how much my dad is excited. He's so excited. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, obviously you have this hope, you have this optimism, but it has to be tempered. It absolutely has to be, we were not expected to be here. Let's just go out there and enjoy this moment. If it doesn't work out, you know, we weren't expected to be here. So here's here's an that's easier said than done though. And sorry, go ahead. So so here's an interesting question, Owen. As just normal, casual guys like you and I, I think a question as a sports fan, I'm curious about is like, when should you start to believe? You know, if you take these teams that we're fans of, right, and they're not the best franchises, not the best history, right? Like, when throughout the season and when throughout the games should you actually believe? Start to actually believe? Hey, like. They can win this big game, well, or like uh, they can do well this season. Or when you know, when do you when do you say, "Hey, well, the warning signs are here. They're they're probably going to blow this game." Are you sure you, <laughs> you want to ask I me guess, this question? For example. Oh, and I'll give you a perfect example. I mean, I thought that you know, and I think we both knew it, right? I think watching the the NLCS, the Braves against Dodgers, right? You, you're thinking in that game five, like. The Braves had to win, right? They they mm -hmm. absolutely they had to win that game, and it was yeah. a close game, one run game, right? If I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. four three, I think. And uh, and you know, but you're just like, no, realistically, rationally, okay, if they lose the game, they have two more games to win. Um, but you know, you're thinking they have to win that game, and I think this is the kind of you know situation where you know, last year the Kansas City Chiefs were down every single playoff game that they obviously won the Super Bowl, they were down every single one. And, you know, they were down three touchdowns against Houston. And, uh, I mean, I'm just very scared as a fan that, you know, the Browns have a great running game. They could easily get out to a hot start. And it's like, I, I don't want to get too excited to, like, pull off the upset and then just have the team come back and lose. Huh. And I think this game, honestly, Owen, is set up for an epic, thriller of classic Browns loss. Like I think this game, the Browns are a hot team. I think it's going to be a shootout. I mean, the Browns have a really, really good offense. Kansas city has the 31st ranked run defense in the NFL. I see no reason why Cleveland can't score 45 points against Kansas city, but you know, I would say Kansas city would score 48. It's going to be one of the, one of those close games. And as a fan, you're just sitting there. It's like, man, I'd rather just get, would you rather get blown out on or lose a really close game? Blown like out, blown out, no question. Because and and you yeah. asked, you start, you preface this whole thing by saying, at what point do you start to believe? I'll tell you when you start to believe. When you mm -hmm. start to believe in in football in the NFL, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. when your team hits victory formation. In mm. baseball, it's when it's yeah. strike three for the third out in the final inning, and your team yeah. is one. In the NBA, it's when the clock hits zeros. Never, oh. ever, ever, ever for a second believe that you can't lose a game that you think is unlosable. Yeah. Because the Atlanta Falcons showed you in 2017, in early February, unlosable game means nothing in the National Football League. Unlosable series means nothing in baseball. It means absolutely nothing if you cannot get it over the line. So this is also, you know, obviously my perspective on it as someone who's seen Atlanta do it over and over and over again. It's I've just become numb to the idea that you know, there's there's a point in having any source of hope, any source of optimism, right. any source of like this this <laughs> feeling of good things are gonna happen. I I deserve this good thing, and and this yeah. good thing is it's right here. It's we're gonna take it, we're gonna enjoy yeah. it, and we're gonna party like it's 1999. That doesn't happen sure. with Atlanta sports teams, in my experience. And the only thing that saves me from not being a sports fan entirely <laughs> is literally. Liverpool and the Red Sox. That's it. Yeah, they're, they're the only two teams that keep me coming back to the table because I've seen them actually have some sort of success. And no, I don't have a connection to Boston other than I know people yeah. who live there or I, yep. you know, have family in New England. But I have no relation to either one of those cities. It's a purely yep. arbitrary thing. And I can't hammer that point home enough. Sports fandom is arbitrary. Yeah, but oh, completely. You choose to, for for me personally, I choose to assign it to what means the most to me. And growing up in Atlanta, there's a family connection to the Browns, obviously, and that's why my dad and my brother are huge Browns fans. But for me, it's it's more so where did I grow up? Where did I grow? What, what was the environment in which I grew up? Not just at home, but in the general area. In the area, it was college football, baseball. Uh, it was the Bulldogs. It was the Braves. It was you know, and then it became the Hawks and the Falcons, and then. You know, older you get, Liverpool and the Red Sox are kind of all. It's it's a it's a hodgepodge of of sports fandoms. But mm-hmm. going back to it, Atlanta sports fandom, it's pain, it's suffering. Yeah. I know I'm I'm whining about sour grapes because you know sure. I've seen my team play in a Super Bowl in my lifetime, but I've also seen my team blow the biggest lead of any team in yeah. NFL history in the Super Bowl. So it, it you know it goes both ways, and depending sure. on how you choose to look at it, it's one or the other. And so did given, you? Sorry, go but ahead. During that game on the Super Bowl, did you did you think they were going to let it slip? Or yeah, I mean, or honestly, when did you when did you start to get worried? Or like, how how excited were you during the game? When the Patriots scored in the second half, uh, pretty early on in the third in the in the or not in the second half in the third quarter in the, towards the end of the third quarter, I thought mm-hmm. this is going to get dicey. And then when uh, when Edelman made the uh, the ghost catch, sure, yep. that's when I thought, yeah, it's over. There's no way Atlanta's going to win this. It, it's, Even at it's, that point, they were still up. At yeah, that point. exactly. But that's the that's the thing, though. It's it's when those little things can can have a sh- can leave a, just a tiny grain of doubt in your mind. That's that's to me as an Atlanta fan that that is always the killer. It's always the telltale sign of this is over. Game seven of the NLCS again. Braves had a golden opportunity to not only take the lead but to blow the game open. And because of a ridiculously stupid base running mistake, they walked away from, I think it was two on with one out. Uh, I think it was like second and third with with no outs or even one out uh, with no runs. And you you can't Mm -hmm. do that against a team like the Dodgers. And ultimately, it proved me right. But then again, that series can be dissected so many different ways. And we talked about this back in October. It's 
you know, why did why did Brian Snit go to go to AJ Minter, who's pitched in two yeah. or three games in a row? Why did he leave in Chris Martin for an extra inning when he had guys in the pen who were ready to face, um, you know, Kike Hernandez or mm-hmm. Cody Bellinger? So mm-hmm. you could dissect it any which way sure. you want, but it's it's little moments that can really shift momentum that yep. have more of a psychological impact, I'd say, than we give credit for. And mm-hmm. that's the telltale sign for me that Atlanta's going to blow it. Now, this 2020 NFL season, for the Falcons specifically, is kind of one you not throw yeah. out the window, but you kind of take it as like, no, this is what the Falcons are all about. Because the, the game against Dallas, we don't need to talk about that. The game against Chicago the very next week, again, this, this drives me insane, this third game. The Detroit Lions at home, you, you let the Lions drive 75 yards down the field in a minute with zero timeouts. Right. In no way, shape, or form is the Falcons <laughs> losing that game Todd Gurley's fault. The narrative being pushed by sports media, columnists, whatever you yeah. want to call it, analysts, your Skip Baylesses, your sure. Stephen A. Smiths, sure. ideas that that is Todd Gurley's fault are complete and utter nonsense. Sure. Because if you let a team that just went behind storm down the field in in less than a minute with no timeouts. Yeah. That does not mean you scoring made you lose. It means you lost the game. Period. It doesn't matter yeah. what caused it. You lost. Sure. And it's that that idea just drives me insane and I don't know how many times over the course of Thanksgiving that my family and I got into this, specifically <laughs> my dad and my brother. I don't know how many yeah. times we got into it. At least yeah, 3 I, times. So it's I think it's, it's stupid. Sure. No, I agree, and that's a tough situation because look in the NFL, like teams in those in those two minute drill situations, like you know offenses can really move the ball because defenses will sit back, they'll mm-hmm. let you throw throws underneath underneath ten fifteen yards with you know two safeties and stuff. But yeah. ultimately, like you said, in those situations, you just gotta hope your your defense you know gets a stop. But I think that what you bring up is a really interesting point, though, of you know. Oftentimes, right, when we look back on teams and and seasons, you know, we remember teams in the past, you know, who won the championship and stuff. You know, we just think about how great that team was. But in reality, all it comes down to, right, is so many little moments, right? Mm -hmm. Or there's or there's just certain, like you said, key momentum. Like it's so much closer than you remember. And it's really important to remember those key plays. And I mean, you know, it's it's so interesting to remember the semblance. I mean, man. Cleveland, if you remember, they actually had the same Falcons lead against Pittsburgh, 35-10. to 10, And I thought they were going to lose the game, man. I thought, man, I mean, just disaster at the beginning of the half. We come out 3-3 and outside in a row. Pittsburgh scores two quick touchdowns. They have the ball. We're up 11. They're, you know, they, they don't go for it on fourth down. And so hopefully that's something that we, we didn't blow that lead. You know, and I, I really hope it's something. Yeah, and, and not to not to beat a dead horse, but I want to talk about this this idea that it's poor sportsmanship to run up the score in garbage time. It's it's yep. for very reasons like that that it yeah. you don't take anything for granted. There's there is it's specifically Fernando Tatis swinging on swinging three zero when his team's up like seven already in a game or however many mm-hmm. it was. That's yep. that's not a sign of disrespect for your opponent. It's actually more so a sign of respect because you understand that any given game at the highest level, I mean, this goes for college too, uh, any team at the highest level can come back from any deficit. And so as a competitor, your objective is not to 
play nice so that the other team no. has a chance to win. Right. Your objective is to win at all costs. And if That's that right. means swinging 3-0 on a fastball right down the middle and hitting right. a grand slam, so be it. You shouldn't have no, given up right. a grand slam in the first place. It's it's a pitcher. It's it's not no, pitch better. It's not the team that takes yeah. advantage of mistakes. It's not their fault. It's no. the fault of the team that let them get to that position in the first place. And we oh, talk absolutely. about we talk about oh it was, you know, specific moments of oh it was a refereeing mistake here or it was this moment here that was kind of bs that shouldn't have gone their way well games are not just played in those one moments they're played over the course of 60 minutes of 48 minutes of nine innings of whatever 90 minutes whatever you want to call it so it's not just this one thing you have opportunities throughout the course of a game to score goals score points score runs uh you know play good defense shut the shut the opposition out whatever you want to call it and it's just one of those things we have to remember constantly that it's not one of those it's it's not disrespectful to run up the score uh it, there are certain ways to do it that are disrespectful as in if you if yeah. you you know alley oop to three different you know if you alley oop 360 it to someone when you're up like 30 right. points yeah maybe that's a little disrespectful it's a little showboaty but it's ultimately your objective is to win and if you're down that far in a game, you have to look at yourself first and say, okay, why did we let them get to that point? Other points, you have to tip your cap and yeah. just say, they are better than us. Now, again, there's there's certain, you know, there's the how of it that I think yeah. drives people insane. But it's more so, it's more so people who don't understand that you have to take opportunities when they're given to you because you don't know how many you're going to have. You don't know how many the other team is going to yeah. have. And you just have to, you have to take things as they come to you. So and, and actually, you just can't take it for to, granted. I, I want to follow up on that, Owen. And um, and it's it's so interesting, man. And it's just I think you know, you're you're so right, Owen, about what you say. And I think that you know, it's just like for, fans should understand that, and I think that players should understand that. You know, mm-hmm. players should not be offended, like you said in the case of like Tatis or whatever. You gotta you gotta pitch better, and it's at, you know, and it's it's also funny because you know I think. It's also like you said, um, some guys can just be sore looters. Honestly, like actually, I'm gonna tie this back to the Browns for a sec. I don't know if you saw Chase Claypool's comments. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually I, I have the quote here. Yep. Um, you know the star receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, mm-hmm. and and he says, not that I'm praying on them getting beat really bad, but someone had asked me for a score prediction, and that was just the kind of way of me saying I think the Chiefs are going to beat the Browns. If the Browns had won with more class then I wouldn't have been so salty about it. But then mocking Juju Smith-Schuster during the game and after the game just didn't sit well with me. Like, okay, well, look, if you don't want to have guys talk trash to you, why don't you win? Why don't yeah. you win the game? And why, don't you better, why don't you not dance on people's logos? Why don't you not call people the same old Browns? Exactly. And like you said, like, you lost the game. It's okay. They were, you know, they left it on the field. Trash talking is a part of game. I'm sorry. Like, that. that's it. Don't get offended by it. You know, it's just, like you said, that's just the competitive spirit that's a part of the game. Mm-hmm. It's not a, the Browns got to do whatever they can to win the game. If, exactly. If it's if as long as it's not ridiculously offensive trash talk, trash talking, you know, playing hard the whole game and not, you know, beating them down, you mm-hmm. know, celebrating. That's all part of the game. Yeah. So no. classless loss like that struck a chord in me because that reminds me of, you know, what you're saying about like you know some people think Tatis was just classless you know rubbing it in at the end of the game so yeah I thought that was ridiculous and and the other thing is like who who is it that opened their mouth first 
in oh, exactly. in in 2021 in the age of social media where yeah. Claypool had his initial comments about the loss on TikTok. I mean, we're we're talking about something that happens on a social media platform that exploded yeah. in 2020 and we're all of a sudden just for some reason thinking yeah this guy's got some you know maybe there's some some merit to what he's saying the browns were sore yeah. losers no it's juju smith schuster and his massive mouth and bigger ego yeah. going and saying oh they're just the same old browns with same yeah. old gray browns with nameless nameless faces or whatever whatever his comments were they were just not mm-hmm. not appropriate for uh you know yeah. a professional in in any any field, no, let alone no. athletics and a billion dollar, a multi-billion dollar industry no, uh, where the objective is to beat your opponent. It's a zero sum game at the end of the day. Someone's got to yeah. win. Someone's got to lose. And you, you can, it's well within the laws of the game. Cleveland didn't do anything wrong to win the game. They no. just, no, they, 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 they let their, a lot of emotion and passion. Exactly. You know? They let their play speak for it rather than their own opinion of what a franchise is. And for yeah. not only Juju, but for Claypool as well to make those comments about oh they're going to lose to Kansas City in the next round. Well, who who did they lose? Who did he Pittsburgh said, lose also, to? I'll, I should mention that the original quote that was his response. Mm-hmm. The original quote was no, he didn't just say that it was. He said quote they're going to get their ass clapped. Mm-hmm. They would not say this about any team other than the Browns. Yeah, they, they would not say this about any team other than the Browns. Yeah, and I get it. It's a division rival. This is you know one of the longest yeah. rivalries in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, we lost 17 straight games to them. Exactly. And, and so, you know, it, I yeah. mean, you're the one keeping count, not me. So, but again, it's one of those yeah. things where you cannot fault your opponent for going out no. and beating you. If, no, if you get it. beat, you have to look at yourself first. Okay. Then you can look so, at, okay, maybe they did X, Y, Z in a certain way that didn't sit well with me. Okay, sure. But you yeah. let them get in that position. They didn't. Mm-hmm. She, they played within the rules of the game. They played respectfully. I mean, as as, yeah. as far as we know, they played within the rules of the game. I'm not insinuating anyone cheated, but just at a baseline, you have to assume unless someone unless there are serious cheating allegations, like the New England Patriots, what three, four, five times, however many times they cheat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's for another time. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. I, but yeah, it's one of those things where like it, it. It's just like why would you? Why would you do that? Why would you say that? Because. Ultimately, it's going to make you look bad because mm-hmm. you can't accept that. Yeah, we we went out there and we competed. We came sec- We yeah. came out second, and and that's just that's the way life goes. Sometimes, I mean, if you listen to to managers like Jurgen Klopp speak, he'll be like, you know, we went out. We I, I I gave we set up the boys to play the best they could. They went out and played. It just wasn't good enough. It happens. That's that's part of life. Yeah. If if he was judged, you know, he had this quote a couple of years ago, maybe his last year, about if I was judged, um, you know, when I get to heaven and I'm judged um, by you know how much do you win, then life would be a really really bad thing. It, it'd be that's just a, a horrible quote. thing. That's a great quote. It, life, it, you know, it's it's not about how much you win. It's how much you just do the best you can with what you have. Yep. And that's that's ultimately, you know, not to get too philosophical, but that's ultimately what the what the goal is. You want to just do the most of what you have, and whatever the results are, they are. It's just yeah. it, it is what it is. I think that's the saying, right? You know, leave it out on the field, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, leave it all out on the field. And I think that you know, ultimately, right? It's it's just it's just interesting, right? Because I, I've been playing this game out in my head, right? And I I've, I'm saying. You know, I think that the Browns are going to score a lot of points and they're going to give up even more points. 
Um, and, you know, it's like, sure, as long as, you know, it's so interesting, right? Because, like, sure, as a fan, I'll be proud if they leave it all out in the field, you know, and Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb run all over them. But and we lose a close game. But at the same time, as a fan, like man, that that really stings. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's it's a it's like I'd rather almost get blown out than really lose a close, tragic game. You know? Well, like I, I really would. All I will say is that the big uh, blown lead support group meets on uh, meets on Mondays. Yes. Uh, right around six o'clock p.m. Pacific time. Uh, snacks are provided. So, so come ready, come with your sports related fandom, sports fandom related traumas. Uh, it is a safe space for everyone. (laughs) Yes. I'm speaking from experience. Um, speaking of support groups, um, teams that lose to Alabama in national championship games, um, they beat, they beat Alabama in 2015. That was a fun game to watch, watching Alabama lose in 2015, but ultimately Bama gonna Bama. That's it. That's all there is to it. It's football is a religion at that school and that's that that's that i mean it, it is at ohio state as well and at georgia right. to an extent but you know this year given the way clemson played kind of all year and 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 what we saw out of them it, it just never really felt like uh it was going to be any other outcome than alabama winning the title i mean it, it's tough when when ohio state played what seven games all year before the national championship game and alabama uh, yeah, Bama had 12 so, yeah so no, that's, that's true um but yeah, no, that was, um, you know, Owen, I I was dead wrong. You know, coming going into the weekend, you know, I thought I was like, you know, look, the 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 Browns are a really good team, but you know, Pittsburgh has our number. They have a really good defense against you know the run and play action. I, I thought that Cleveland was going to lose to Pittsburgh, but I actually thought Ohio State was going to pull off the upset against Alabama. And boy, mm. was I dead wrong. Yeah, that was just a you know, I you know. I I was disappointed on, and I'll tell you why I was disappointed. I was disappointed because I thought that Ohio State got, you know, they got they got their ass kicked, and I was just disappointed because don't get me wrong, Alabama. Some people say you know could be the best college football team ever, and you know I think most people, um, you know, they were heavy favorites, but you know I thought Ohio State would definitely give them a game. And, you know, Ohio State had a good running game. And, you know, I just thought, you know, Justin Fields would put up like a Deshaun, Deshaun Watson uh, kind of performance in the two championship games, but he didn't. Uh, yeah, that was, a really, that was a really disappointing loss. But at the same time, I mean, geez, is, is, is Alabama good? Sometimes, yeah. Owen, as a, as a casual fan, you got to say, so the worst losses I think, Owen, are the losses where you say, Man, we kind of outplayed them, or man, we were the better team, and we just lost the game. You know, you can accept that if some team is better than you on the day, or if some team's just flat out better, like that, then you can accept it. You know, mm-hmm. so I can accept that. You know, Alabama was stacked; they they kicked their ass, and they, and they did that. Yeah, they did that. I remember seeing something on Twitter the day after the game, or maybe right after the game, that said yeah. every every recruit that Nick Saban has had has won a national title. That to me is the most telling thing about Alabama because the way to win in college football is not necessarily the X's and O's. It's recruiting. If you win recruiting, you're going to win the title more often than not. It's not a direct correlation. It's not a direct causation, but the ability to retain the top tier talent from around the country and around the world is one of the things that makes Alabama so good. 
it's not only the legacy of the program, it's a history of the program. They have a history of excellence, but also they have a history of recruiting the best players. And you, you look at the teams they've had this decade alone. I mean, how many, how many players do we talk about making a huge impact, not necessarily at the professional level, but at the college level? You oh. talk about how many Heisman Trophy winners, how many oh. guys have been in the national conversation every no. single year out of the school. I mean, Nuts. Tua is the most recent example. Uh, Najee Harris yep. is going to be the next example. Devontae yep. Smith as well. But yep. you go back, you talk about Trent Richardson when he was in college, Mark Inger when he was in college. Yeah. It, it just Derek goes Henry. further. Derek Henry, exactly. So it just Amari goes further Cooper. and further and yeah. further back. Amari it's Cooper, enough. Derek Henry. Um, I mean, Jedrick yeah. Wills of the Browns even. Yep. And you want to talk about this year. So it's Josh Jacobs. Like, it, yep. yeah, no. it, you just keep going down the list of great Alabama players in college and guys who are in the national conversation on a yearly basis. It's usually going to be players from Alabama. Yeah. An interesting stat, uh, Todd McShay, right? He did, he did the NFL mock drafts, right? Mm-hmm. He said um, Alabama had 13 players who he thought would get drafted in the NFL, which is a lot, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Um, and Ohio State was one of the next most, and they had eight. So they had five more players that were going to get drafted, which shows mm-hmm. you just how stacked they are. Yeah. You know, it's just – but let me ask let me ask you this, Owen. Um, do you think that the – do you think that the fans – I mean, I look, I know they love college football there, but do you think that they are – they, are they for SEC football? Are they somewhat fair-weather fans or no? Or are they true diehard fans? Alabama Crimson Tide fans? Tide fans? Yeah. I mean, so it, it's it's more so, first and foremost, Bama fans are going to be Bama fans. Yeah. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone in in really the entire Southeast that doesn't kind of root for the SEC unless they're playing their given school. So say the national title is... Let's. I want to cherry pick this one because it's it's funny. Notre Dame against Alabama. <laughs> I mean, even if you're an Auburn fan, chances are you're you're more likely than not going to be rooting for Alabama. Really? Um, not, Auburn's maybe a bad example, but if you wow. say say you're yeah. a Georgia or a Florida <laughs> fan and yeah, you don't you maybe don't play places. Alabama every single year, you're probably going to root for them to win the title because you want to you want your team to be like, hey, we play in the best conference. We play them every couple years. Yeah, Auburn is is a weird example because they, you know, they obviously have a, a long-standing hatred of Alabama, and it goes both sure. ways. Uh, but I, I'd, I'd say, yeah, Alabama fans, and they haven't had to deal with teams being, I mean, at least not in our lifetime, being really mediocre. Uh, maybe, maybe our parents' generation at a couple yeah. years, but even so, Bear Bryant was, you know, yeah. one of the greatest college coaches of all time. So it, that doesn't really go hand in hand with the whole, you know, Alabama sucks yeah. thing. But, you know, like a bad year for them in what was it? 29 the 2019 season. A bad year was what? 3 losses? Yeah, and they uh beat Michigan, yeah. So, exactly. Um, 9 and 3. They were 9 and 3. Exactly. Yeah. So, 3 losses is a bad year for most they programs. Still had, you know, they still had Jerry Judy and Tua and Henry Ruggs like all yeah. these guys. Right. It, it was a it was a bad year by their standards, but that's just cuz they set yeah. the bar so high and we continually no, move the needle for them. No, it's just the the reason that I that I asked about that on was because you know they I mean they like one day when Nick Saban leaves they're gonna be you know uh, those fans if they realize don't realize how spoiled they are they're gonna be upset and because I was watching that game and I was like if I was a fan 
I'd celebrate that because that was just an incredibly dominant performance on offense and defense. That team, you know, I, I mean, I look, I watched that LSU team last year and I was like, man, is this team the best college football team ever? And then I watched this team and it's like, this team was probably even better. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, it's, damn. so I, I hesitate to put a, a true asterisk over the 2020 college football season, but we just didn't get a clear picture from every team in every no, power five good. conference. Um, that said, I mean, just the way things panned out this year, I don't think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of doubt as to were they a deserving champion? Absolutely. Sure. Um, were they better than LSU though? I, it, it's tough to say because the circumstances were different. The teams were, I mean, Alabama had a bad year last year and LSU had one of the best years in, in their school history. Uh, and, and one of the best sec, one of the best college teams of all yeah. time with, I mean, how many of those players went in the first round? It, oh, it's so many, shoot. so many first round picks, and even guys from that team who didn't get drafted are still, uh, you know, they're still their their names are going to be in the in the in the sports news before before we know it. it. They're so, dude. It's they're so similar. Like last year, right? Like, you know, you had Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson, incredible rookie season. Mm-hmm. You know, Jamar Chase is going to be a top five pick this year. You know, yep. Alabama, Jalen Waddle and Devontae yep. Smith. You know, similar, good, but not great defenses and historically good offenses. Um, but, you know, it's, it's uh, man, it's, it, it's interesting. You're right. We, we didn't get a chance to see the true picture of teams, but I think the one thing we, it was pretty clear Alabama was the best team. I yeah. Mean, by a pretty long way. I don't, I don't think there's any, there's any disputing that. Um, and same thing went for LSU last year. Uh, that LSU Alabama game in 2019 was one of, I think probably one of my favorite college games ever oh. to watch. Yeah. Uh, I was at a, I was at a bar with my buddy, um, and just watching watching those teams go back and forth at it, and and just every time Alabama looked like they were gonna have a classic Alabama comeback or just remind everyone why they are who they are, LSU came back and scored twice. Oh, it's just a back yeah. and forth offensive it shootout. Just, it's college football man, at its that? finest. It was in the 40s, right? It was like 40. I think it was like 54 to 48 or something crazy like that. It was it, it was a stupid score. It was a video game stat line, and like what gosh. a game to watch. Speaking of that, Owen, I, I'm glad you meant that's so interesting because I pulled up the stats because um, I was so curious because I'm so excited about the Browns game. Um, so I pulled up like just the little box score from mm-hmm. the 2016 Oklahoma Texas Tech game, yeah, which I thought was like fascinating. I don't know if you remember this when Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury were coaching. Mm. So Oklahoma won the game 66-59. This was the last, you know, Baker Mayfield was 27 of 36 for 545 yards and seven touchdowns. Uh, Joe Mixon had 377 yards and five touchdowns. D.D. Westbrook had two touchdowns, 202 yards receiving. On the Texas Tech side, um, Patrick Mahomes, this is insane. He had a stupid stat line. Of 80, 52 of 88. He threw the ball 88 times on Yeah, that's dumb. 734 yards. Yep. Five touchdowns. Mm-hmm. He had also rushed for 85 yards and two touchdowns. Yep. And Kiki Kuti had 172 yards. And the Big 12 plays a lot of defense, right? So. Yeah, a ton <laughs> of defense in that conference. I think. Oh, I, you know, speaking of that, I, I honestly think, I, I really think we're going to see in the Browns game, like, I, I really think. We're gonna see a shootout like that. Oh, and I think, man, Baker Mayfield's arrived. So, yeah. But uh, but yeah, man, the tide the tide are spoiled, man. No program is infallible. No. And so they are, 
And I will, I'll say this, Owen. I think um, if he's there, I definitely think the Falcons should draft Justin Fields at number four. Um, there, you know, I think, you know, Alabama, um, sorry, the Jets, they're t- thinking about taking a tackle. Um, so if they don't take him, I mean, some people, I, they'd probably take a quarterback, right? Either, either Wilson or Fields. I think Fields is going to be a monster in the NFL. Um, do you think Falcons should should take Fields? I, I've also, made my that'd be a great story. That'd be a great story too. I've made my feelings about Matt Ryan. I think pretty clear on the podcast. Um, yeah. I respect what he's done for the franchise in his career. He he looks great in the stat sheet. Uh, but yep. since the Super Bowl, when it's come down to it, when when the game is on the line, Matt Ryan is 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 a shell of the player he was, and that's to be expected. He's thirty five years old. Um, yep. That said, he's owed. At least thirty million for the next three seasons, I think. At least thirty million. I think it's thirty-three this year, and then down to twenty-eight. So I think its average is out to about thirty million a year for the next three years. It'll be thirty-eight, and he's still making thirty thirty million dollars a year. Uh, that that is a contract that hurts the Falcons more than it helps them, and I think it's in the best interest of the organization if they move on. I mean, this isn't a hot take. I've, I think I've had this take before, but if it's, it's in the organization long-term's best interest to move, move away from Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, as much as I hate to say that, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's best to trade Julio to a contender, get a draft pick or two, trade Matt Ryan to a contender, get a draft pick or two, let them get their Super Bowl rings. They're forever going to be Falcons greats, but mm-hmm. ultimately for the, if, if the Falcons are ever going to win a Super Bowl or even get back to a Super Bowl at this point, because it's not even looking like they're going to make the playoffs anytime soon just with all the dead money they have in the organization for players on the wrong side of 30, it makes more sense. So I would like to see them. Yes. I'd like to see them drop Justin Fields. I would. And have, if, if not Matt Ryan, be a mentor trade for, you know, a Ryan Fitzpatrick type player, someone who can mm. start right away and kind of mentor Justin Fields, kind of show him the roads of what it means to be an NFL quarterback. And then if they believe yep. in his ability, then give him the starting job halfway through the season. But I don't think that's going to happen just because Arthur Blank has a tendency to hold on to players much longer than he should, um, or sure. at least he he doesn't. He's not a big fan of of jettisoning franchise players. Um, I yeah. think Roddy White's probably the best example of that. I mean, he had a decent final season in Atlanta, but ultimately they could have gotten some value out of him on the trade market. Yeah, they should have. I mean, he was a good receiver. Yeah, sure. it, it just once he once he started declining, I think his his effectiveness in Atlanta system, I think ultimately was was best left on the bench and to let julio jones a younger julio jones at that point kind of be the star i mean julio jones is also gonna, always going to be a star in the nfl he's one-on-one i think the most unguardable wide receiver yeah in his prime in his sure. prime he he, he's definitely. had injury problems the last few years and you know it, it just is what it is i i hate i hate it because I've, i love both of those players i love what matt ryan provided the falcons uh especially when he got drafted and you know in that that uh black hole that was the post michael vick era uh he 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 made the falcons you know he made it so that you know a kid growing up in atlanta like myself could watch the falcons and be like yeah that's the falcons are fun to watch again because right after michael vick was uh was let go it it was uh it was painful it was painful to watch and That kind of made it fun again, and ultimately we bring ourselves to this point in 2021 where there's an elite quarterback in college who's on uh, who's on the draft board, who's mo- more likely than not going to be on the draft board, someone who's from Atlanta, who grew up a Falcons fan. It'd be a nice story. It'd, it'd be, be a great nice. story. I'd like to see it happen. I realistically don't think it will, 
and uh, the Falcons wow. are doomed to another 20 years of mediocrity. So, oh. uh, woe is me, I guess, huh? <laughs> I I'm, so, I'm sorry, bro. Man. It is yeah. what it is. It's just sports. Speaking of woe is me, though, I do... Do you have any final thoughts before we move on to our next topic? Because we do, we do have a lot to get to, get to um, in yeah, this, yeah, this little actually, segment. Um, I actually do want to say uh, something real quick. Yeah. Just around the state. Um, a lot of people have been talking about this with the with the news of Urban Meyer being hired mm. as the Jacksonville Jaguars coach. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a chance that things could go south. You know, a lot of people say, you know, coming from a college approach, uh, college of the pros is hard because of the egos in the locker room, and you know, you have to treat. Uh, adults you know adult men you know differently than than college kids but just being an Ohio State fan seeing I think that he's going to be a hit at the NFL level not just because because he's not only a great offensive mind but a great coach and so not only do I think you know they'll probably draft Trevor Lawrence and you know Jacksonville already has a pretty good offense um Will he get that offense humming? But he will be a good coach. He'll give them the right values and teach them a winning culture. And so, I mean, it'd be kind of cool if, um, I mean, maybe they draft Justin Fields because he, you know, recruited him. <laughs> but, uh, I, no, I was just, you know, I know how good a coach Urban Meyer is. I think, um, you know, he's going to, NFL fans are going to, he's going to make the league a lot more interesting. And so, um, yeah, I think he's going to be, be a hit, and I want to give him a shout-out. Yeah, I, I I like that, and I think there's there's some really warranted optimism, especially because he's been out of football for a little bit, um, you know, yeah. for his for for his own reasons, and going back into it as an NFL head coach who, you know, an NFL head coach not only of just a team that had recently been to the AFC Championship game, but a team mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. has the number one overall pick in an in a draft class where yeah. there is a undisputed number one he's overall number pick. One. Trevor Lawrence yeah. is going number one. That that's a fact. He's, we he's uh, barring the c- complete mishandling yeah. of the biggest quarterback talent in this in this draft class, the yeah. most accomplished player in the draft. Um, it, it, it's an exciting prospect, and I think any any top tier college coach like an Urban Meyer, say Lincoln Riley, if he was that, in that same position, not the same kind yep. of success as Urban Meyer. Going back to Meyer's days at Florida, right. but that same kind of idea of there's a top coach in college with a team with a number one overall pick right. with a top tier talent from college. I mean, how can you not want that job? So I think it's, it's yeah. kind of not a no brainer, but it's, it's not. Oh, sure. Unexpected for, for Maya for, to take this for, job. For, uh, for someone like him, they have a lot of young talent already and they have a lot of draft picks and they're going to get Trevor Lawrence. Oh, it's a great fit. But I also, I just want to emphasize that he's a good coach because, you yeah. know, for example, I think the best example is Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, you know, I thought the it was very Cliff Kingsbury, like, you know, to go to Arizona, they go eight and eight, you know, they were a penalized team. They lost a lot of close games. They maybe shouldn't have, you know, defense was mediocre, slightly below average. And, but you know, the difference is that, you know, urban Meyer has proven that he can win. So this is not a, you know, some college coaches, right. There's a lot of, you know, offensive gurus and stuff. Like I I think he'll, he'll be a, a hit at the NFL level. Unlike someone like, you know, Cliff Kingsbury or someone like that. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, and and I, I I do like you brought that up because I think it's a good it's a good talking point. It's one we'll revisit, of course, when the draft comes around, and of yeah. course as we get into you know next year's mini camp, you know, assuming sure. sports go somewhat back to normal uh, post 
um, you know, the the mass rollout of COVID vaccinations mm-hmm. and and the just yep. general control of the of the pandemic. Um, I I do want to throw a cautionary tale out there um, because I know I know you like Urban Meyer as a former Ohio yeah. State coach. Uh, I want to throw Nick Saban out there as a cautionary tale because Nick Saban, Nick Saban is not just any elite college coach. Nick Saban is from the coaching tree of a one Bill Belichick. Yes. How many coaches in the NFL and college come from that tree? How many successful coaches come from that tree from both the NFL and college? It's a long list. And so... That's the one I'm not, co- because I want to draw a distinction. I I, I want to object to that. Um, I want to object to that um, because Nick Saban wasn't proven at that point. At that point, Nick Saban, when he went to the NFL to become a defensive coordinator for Bill Belichick, he had had several minor jobs in college. Not all of them, you know, as, as assistant coaches, and you know. So this, I'm saying, this is a guy. I, you know, you could say like Pete Carroll might be a better example, but like, you know, at the, I guess I'm saying Urban Meyer's a guy like, you know, he's already had success. You know, I guess the difference was Nick Saban probably wasn't the guy. It is true, but he also wasn't the guy that he was now, you know. That's true. That's true as well. And, you know, there's we could we could pick we could nitpick at this for hours. There's other examples, but I think yeah. I, I throw him out there as, as one because he's achieved the most success of any current college or nfl uh coach who came from the college ranks and i think that's just one to to remind everyone that it it you don't really know for sure what you're going to get i mean chip kelly looked like when he came to the nfl it was going to be kind of a revolution he had one what was it one good season and then everything else was just garbage uh philadelphia fans can correct me on that but you know ultimately he ended up going back to college saban same thing he went from bill belichick to I think it was LSU and then the pros and then back yep. to Al- and then Alabama. He's been at Alabama ever since and they've won what seven, eight national titles, six, seven, eight national titles, sure. whatever, whatever the number is. It's stupid. So he's yeah. definitely an elite coach, but there's a difference between no, college right. and the NFL, right. and you just no, don't really know. Right. And that's a good point, Owen. You're right. By the time he'd gotten to the Jets, you know, he was done well. So yeah, maybe that's right. But so it is a caution. It is a cautionary. Tale. Yeah, and that's not that's not to say that Meyer could be a really good NFL head coach. That's not to say that at all. It's just it it's just it's such a toss up, and it's also to go with quarterbacks as well. Quarterback is the one position I think in the NFL that you just never really know what you're going to get between college and the professional game because it's two completely different animals. In college, you can get away with not having the best arm because you might be a mobile quarterback. You might be able to make plays. Johnny Manziel, I think, is a chief example of that. Yeah. Um, or you could have all the physical attributes, but not the college success, and still be a flop in the NFL, or so far be a flop. And I'm thinking about Sam Darnold in that case. So it, there's so many different aspects that go into it. Plus, you're you're talking about some guys who are 20, 21, 22 years old, yep. being professionals, making well, millions of dollars. I mean, it's yeah. it's keeping all that in perspective and going about your business like a professional, not like a kid, and and doing what you're asked, following the process doing your job as, as you know, the cliche kind of goes, especially with the, the Bill Belichick's of the world. Yeah. So you just never know. It's, it's interesting to watch. And I think that's why we're so gravitated towards the college game, yeah. because it's seeing that progression from someone who's 17, 18, 19 years old yeah. to a full blown professional. And, yeah. you know, people, I mean, take Pat Mahomes, for example. I mean, yes, yeah. he had an exceptional college career statistically, and he had the attributes of a good professional, 
But the thing that helped him was not playing from the get-go. It was watching Alex yeah, Smith go about his job right. and it, learning it from Alex so Smith. Much. It helps so much. Learning the playbook and having a coach like Andy Reid, too, that helps. It, it's got to be the coach. It's got to be yep. the environment. It's got to be the person. Yeah. There's so many things that go into it. And we're talking, you know, the thing that I think oftentimes people in sports media forget is we're talking about people. You put anyone else in that same situation, they may not have the same results, even if they have the same characteristics no, the same so skills. The because the player might have a different... They, they just... Th- everyone comes from a different background, so how they approach any given situation might be different. You just never know. So you can't say definitively, this, that, or the other is going to happen. No, uh, absolutely. There, there are way too many variables. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely. That said, though, it's it's exciting, and... It's, yeah. you know, I think the yeah. the NFL playoffs have, have been, you know, much needed for a lot of folks around the country this year, especially with COVID. Um, and, oh, and for Cleveland, you know that, sorry, go ahead. You know that, Owen, I'm just going to say this. There's not one person that believes in us, man. No one believes in the Browns, man. No one believes we can do it. There's not one person out there that's gambling on this game that's going to pick the Browns to win. There's not one person who's watching fans at home who honestly thinks that the Browns are going to win this game. I think we have a great chance. Owen, well, I believe. Well, I really believe, Owen. We'll check in a week from now and see, see how everything goes. Uh, we'll check in the night of, of January 21st. Oh, this is the Joe Thomas, the great offensive lineman. Yeah. He said, he, he had a quote, I think he was talking to Cleveland Radio, and he was like, this is the ultimate underdog. The Browns truly play the card no one believes in us, and it's us against the world. This is like the great this would be one of the greatest upsets in the history of the nfl if the browns can win this game absolutely and the cleveland browns are the ultimate underdog no i i'm not disputing that at all definitely definitely Uh, i just i just don't want you know for for someone who's been through this exercise before as as massive underdogs against a a either defending champion or perennial champion or a loaded team uh i i would just you know, I, I know what it's like to be in your situation where it's yeah. like no one believes in us. Let's just go out there and, and give it a shot. And, you know, I would just. You know what? I'm, you know what? I'm exactly what I'm going to yeah, say. So I, I'm I not do. going to I don't have to say it. Uh, and it's it's important that you have the Browns as well, because we have some other news we need to get to. Yeah. Revolving Cleveland. And we talked about this uh, before the hiatus for for the holidays. But the trade that was always going to happen, but we never knew where or when it was going to happen, finally happened over the last month. Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco traded to the New York Mets of all teams, who I don't think we talked about the Mets as potential suitors, Mm. but once Steve Cohen took Mm. over as owner, I think all bets bets are out the window. He doesn't care about how much the team has to spend. He's going to spend it because he wants the Mets to win a World Series. And honestly, must be nice to have owners like that because that's not the Atlanta Braves. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, look, man, that's the greatest blessing, right? Like when you get a (laughs) fan of a team, you get a big owner. Like think about like Burnley, right? They got these new American owners. Yeah. Now, man, my uh, from a Cleveland perspective, you know, my first thought on – was, you know, it's so sad, but, you know, when you're a fan of a team that has a run, there's just, there's a window of time, and that window's only open so long, you know? Yeah. And, you know, when 
when the Cleveland Cavaliers, obviously, you know, I grew up a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. And, you know, <laughs> obviously you knew that um, a few years ago, LeBron was probably going to leave after the season. And you would just hope that they could win the title in their last year. You figured that was their last chance to the championship window. And, you know, they've rebuilt, but they're not, they're not, you know, they obviously don't have a superstar yet. Um, you know, the Cleveland Browns obviously have, were in purgatory for for a long time. You know, they have a good team now, and they will be good in the years to come, but we'll see if they get over a hump. But the Cleveland Indians' window closed. This was the, this was the straw that broke the camel back. Um, first of all, all of the remnants of kind of the, the teams that I, I watched growing up, some of the big players, you know, Corey Kluber, obviously Linder and Carrasco, um, Carlos Santana, uh, Jason Kipnis, um, et cetera. These guys are all gone. And, you know, um, I think it's time now that the championship window is closed for the Indians. Um, and, you know, they'll retool and rebuild a little bit, but to kind of reflect on, on some of the, some of the key moments, and I'm just going to focus on the playoffs and pick out some of the key moments. Um, so, you know, um, obviously they did lose in 2007. I remember that big when I was a little kid. But, you know, I remember 2013 very well against the Red Sox. That series was, I mean, you know, CC Sabathia and Festo Carmona, you know, couldn't win a game. You figured, I mean, that just, that felt like we were going to make the World Series. Mm. You know, that, that, that felt like we were going to make the World Series. And we could have won the World Series based on the opponent that time. Um, obviously 2016, um, you know, um, that's a team, you know, I just remember watching game five and I was like, we better win this game because otherwise we're going to blow the three to one, three to one lead after winning game four. And, um, just Got blown on game six, but game five and seven, just two really close, like kind of tragic losses, especially game seven. Um, you know, 20, you know, 2017, um, that was a really good series against the Yankees, man. But uh, I think we were up, if I remember correctly, I think we were up 2-0 in that series. Yeah, and we blew 2-0. It. That was, um, that was a, a tough one. You know, 2018 against the Astros, uh, you know, got swept but I still thought we could have put up a better performance um you know and then and then last year you know in the wacky format uh I thought we had the pitching to do better we wasted a Cy Young you know Shane Bieber um so yeah you know as an Indians fan on um you know who even in the years they haven't made the playoffs have been really good it's just sad to see. And, you know, I guess luckily for them, Cleveland's a pretty good organization. They continue to churn out pitchers. So, you know, I think that they'll be okay. But, um, yeah, this is the kind of, you know, it's going to be like a kind of a Falcons thing where, I mean, honestly, I think, you know, when we're adults, we'll be hanging out on the couch, grabbing a beer, and we'll put on a game, and the Indians probably still won't have won the World Series. <laughs> So, oh no. So, um, and then just in terms of, 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 I just want to mention real quick thoughts on the, on the players themselves. 
podcast, I gave the analogy of, you know, when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar left Milwaukee. You know, Milwaukee hasn't gone back to the final since in 45 years or something like that. And, you know, for a team like Cleveland that can't hold on to free agents and has constantly struggled to really put out a good lineup that can really contend with most of the teams with a lot of firepower in the MLB. I mean, Lindor was the, the, the key. He was the heartbeat of the team. Him and, and Jose Ramirez in the middle of the infield. Um, you know, Lindor, two-time Gold Glove winner, four-time All-Star. You know, ever since he's came in the MLB, other than his, you know, rookie year, he really, he was an MVP candidate, albeit kind of a minor one. And so, I mean, he is a generational-type talent that absolutely gives you a boost you need. And so, just seeing him... Leap two, just a, a guy that, you know, came to the U.S. and, like, he was a, an Indian, and he's an Indian with all his heart. And just to see them, you know, I almost would have rather them, you know, played it out and, and see if he would have wanted to stay or try to convince him to resign. But, um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really tough loss. The, the window, the bottom line is the Indians' window is closed. And uh, I don't expect to see Cleveland ever be a contender anytime soon again. Wow. I mean, that's that's what Shane Bieber is the ace, and he's he's our age. Um, yep. That's that's resigning yourself to cynicism that I haven't seen since. Um, yeah. Well, since I looked in the mirror this morning, uh, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to all three of Atlanta's big three teams. But no, I, I, I mean, think you. Uh, can I just say one more thing, real quick? Yeah. I, yeah, and then I want you to finish. I just thought of something. Okay. Um. Ultimately, we would be having a different conversation if freaking Trevor Bauer didn't decide to play with the drone <laughs> in the middle when we needed him the most. I think that's the one that's just like funny from a sports fan perspective but extremely painful something like that happens i mean the thing with trevor bauer is that what what you get with trevor bauer is not just a cy young award winning ability it's the personality that you that comes with trevor bauer and i think that we didn't really know it all that well at that time but we sure as hell know it now and any team that whoever signs Trevor Bauer in the offseason yeah. is going to know that for sure. It, they're going to yeah. understand that, you know, he's kind of unpredictable. Yeah. But what he gives you on the field is still going to be elite level production. So, you know, it, it's a valid point to bring up, but it's it really is give or take with him. And I think that yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those what ifs, I guess. But I, I still think the organization is in a good place. Yeah. Uh, with Shane Bieber. I mean, you, you think of where the Mets were a couple of years ago after they yeah. went to the World Series. It literally felt like all they had was Jacob deGrom. Yeah. Syndergaard was in and out of the hospital with, I don't know how many different surgeries or, or rehabs or, or whatever whatever it is that comes with throwing a million miles an hour. Uh, I think Stephen Mass was the only other uh, yep. known quantity. I think Zach Wheeler had Tommy John yep. and some other lo- lengthy injuries. Sure. Um, 
God, around their infield. Uh, Michael Conforto, I guess. Travis Darno before yep. he went to the Braves and became Travis Darno. He is now. Uh, so it, you know, there's there's potential because you, you never know what what's going to happen with either its ownership, management, players coming out of out of nowhere. Sure. Um, you know. I think you you have every right to be cynical about about Cleveland's yeah. chances of winning a, a championship, but it yeah. it is possible, it, you know. And and I don't sure. want to I don't want to be like, oh, you should have hope because I'm the one who preaches to not have hope. <laughs> uh, but there is there is some sort of reason for yeah. optimism. It's not just a complete cesspool of nothingness, uh, sure. especially with with you have someone like Shane Bieber who's proven that he's an ace. He's the guy in the rotation. Uh, I think just it's it's now filling out the rest of the organization and and building pieces around what is the most important thing about being a contender in major league baseball especially in october which is your starting rotation it's just you're you know what right and it's interesting on because the mets are actually a really good reflection of what cleveland is i mean you know when you look at the mets you know terrible bullpen you know not great hitting but just even for the last like 10 years, just really like elite starting pitching. And so, you know, Cleveland will be that, you know, we still have Savali, you know, Savali and we still have Shane Bieber, um, you know, and we have Tristan McKenzie and Zach Plesak. Um, But it's just, it's just like all the pieces decim, you know, we just, we keep getting, you know, decimated on, you know, you know, Brad Hand's gone, you know, Mike Clevenger's gone. It's just like, the talent level has dropped, you know, and it's true. I, I don't want to be, you know, too cynical, but it's just, it's realistically on. It's just what we have is not good enough. I mean, that, that's the case right now, but you know, what did we say about two years ago, two, three, four years ago, but the San Diego Padres, what did we say sure. a few years ago about the Toronto Blue Jays? Uh, not, yeah. not 2015, but after 2015, after the kind of Bautista and Carnacion days. So, no, you know, it's, it's a question true. mark. I, I do understand. I do. I do get you're saying. And I don't want to throw cold water on it, but it's one of those things. that's just there's so many unknowns that it's like, well, mm-hmm. it, we're at this point where you kind of know what you're going to get with the players you have. The talent isn't what it used to be a few years ago. Yeah. Let's just see what happens. And if it's bad, it's just yeah. kind of expected. But if it's good, then, yeah, we get surprised. You know, sure. that said, that's, again, that's this true. is an Atlanta sports fan preaching to not get your hopes up, trying to get you to get your hopes up. So, you know. It's, no, it's it's not all doom and gloom, but it is a lot of doom and gloom. I will give you that. It really is. I will it, give you it, that. It is doom and gloom on. But, you know, we, we take the good with the bad as sports fans. Yep. It uh, comes with the territory. No, for sure. And um, one last thing that I'll, I'll say about the Cleveland Indians is that, you know, I just, you know, and I just, as a fan... Now that we're we're getting this out, I'm just upset at the front office for not kind of going all in when we had the teams. Mm. We always needed, you know, we did make the trade to get Frenemil Reyes, um, Reyes. You know, even though I don't think that was one of our stronger teams, mm-hmm. but I just look at our teams, and I look, I, I understand it's too tough to say because you know we did come within one game of a World Series, but mm-hmm. I just think for how consistently good we are. I just thought we always needed another bat or two. Yeah. And I'm just annoyed that Cleveland just didn't say, 
heck with the prospects. Like, let's just go all in because it's all worth it if you can win one World Series. Yeah. So, as from a front office, from a fan perspective, I am annoyed at that. Yeah. I am annoyed it, at that. It's the old adage that winning takes care of everything. Uh, I think that's yeah. that's something that is is pretty heavily contested between sports fans and columnists and and journal and um, talking heads versus yep. actual officials and general managers and owners. It's what do you prioritize? Do you prioritize your bottom line at the end of the day? Do you treat it like a business or do you treat it like you are here to win championships? And it's yeah. the it's the teams and the owners that are have that have that all in mentality when the time is right. Uh, that right. are the ones who are going to be more successful. And and also, it's the coin flip that is just that comes with just being part of part of this world. It's it some you can be set up for success all you want and never get it over the line. It's yeah, just no, it's, it's true, not always it's just, in your control. I mean, even Owen, to be honest, even in 2016, I felt like we were just, I mean, relying completely on our our pitching. We had a really good start pitching in bullpen, Mm. you know, kind of like Tampa Bay. But even then, Owen, I mean, our lineup was not great by any means. Yeah, and that's that's fair. That's a fair assessment. So I just, I, I, I kind of wish it's just get another player to, to just, you know, when you have an elite farm system, I just. When you're these teams like Cleveland and Tampa Bay, right, that are good organizations, right, I just think that I understand you want to be good for years and years, so why give up the prospect? But it's like, why not try to go all in and win one? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and so it's that's it's a long discussion about about what what's the priority. You know, it, it's a it's yeah. And I think I but the thing is, I think I, I'll just say I think if you ask fans, I think they would choose to win. Yeah. One world. Yeah. Because, you know, because success is so fleeting, not just in sports, but in life in general. So you have to cherish it when you have it. It's not just be in positions to be successful. It's to actually take the opportunity when it's there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that that brings Mm -hmm. us back to rightly so being being all in when you think it is your time. And there is one specific team who thinks there it is their time right now. Mm-hmm. And they went, I mean, there, there's going all in and there's going all in, in the off season. So when I got this notification on my phone, I almost shat myself. It's mm-hmm. when the Padres traded for Blake Snell, not mm-hmm. only trading for Blake Snell, but two days later, or however many days later it was in a really short <laughs> amount harsh. of time, yeah. trading for you Darvish as well. <laughs> Yeah, I I understand the 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 apprehension with you, Darvish. Sure. But Blake Snell wanted out of Tampa Bay the minute he got pulled from Game Six of the World Series. After sure. what was it, seventy six pitches? Yeah. Holding the yeah. holding that Dodgers lineup to nothing. Mm-hmm. It, it it's mind boggling how that becomes the catalyst for the Padres to be like. This is our time. We're gonna we're gonna show the world what we can do. We're gonna go all in. I don't think they're done in the offseason either. I don't think they're done making moves to to strengthen that team. What is already a very good team. Yeah. And a team that is going to seriously challenge the Dodgers. Because the Dodgers haven't really done much in the offseason. They sure. they signed uh Corey Knable to a deal. Um mm-hmm. Pedro Baez left. Sure. They've re-signed Dylan Floro. Um uh, Alex Wood left. Um I mean, really the rotation 
as it is right now is Kershaw and Walker Bueller. Yep. In a nutshell. Yep. And, you know, Kenley Jansen, Justin Turner, question mark. I do think Corey, yeah, I mean, that's a big one. I, I do think Corey Knable was actually really good. I, I trust the Dodgers with their player valuations, you know. Yeah. Corey Knable, when he wasn't injured, and when he, you know, beside last year, um, you know, it wasn't good. Um, you know, I think it, they trust he'll rediscover the form when he was peak Brewers. Yeah. When they lost to the Dodgers in the postseason. Yeah. So I think that was actually a really good signing. Yeah, but no, so, I agree. I agree. I would say that to me, the area they're still lacking in is the bullpen. I think the Dodgers have a pretty clear advantage there. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, their starting rotation is going to be really good. And, I mean, they have a very good lineup, too. So that that's a team, I think. But, man, I mean, they, that team, Owen, I mean, the wild card to me, I think, is is because, you know, last year, Nelson Lamette was one of the best young pitchers in baseball. Um, I think if I think the wild card to me is Garrett Richards, hmm. you know, at one point and um, and Chris Paddock. Yeah. Those two guys, if either one of them, particularly Chris Paddock, who was dreadful last year, I mean, he was awful. Mm-hmm. If he can if either one of those two guys can rediscover form, all of a sudden you've got maybe the best rotation in the MLB. So and and we'll give you a fourth starter. So yeah, all you know that you can that you can try against any team in the postseason. Yeah. So I think they're a little short, but they you know they could definitely you know work with that for sure. Right. I I think the, we we lost the beginning of that thought you had, but I think the idea the idea is pretty is pretty straightforward that there's there's a wealth of talent beyond Lamette, Clevenger, Snell, and Darvish. That right there is already a ridiculous four starting pitchers. Then you add two who have potential or potential to rediscover their form from when they were very solid pitchers. All of a sudden, you're you're talking about the best, deepest rotation in baseball. Well, remember, uh, Clevenger is going to be out, right? I mean, he's going to miss the season. Oh, that's right. That's right. He had, um, Tommy, he had Tommy John. John. That's right. I, so, thought, it was, I thought it was a I mean, minor injury. Never mind. But yeah, no, you're good. So, so there's, there's, there's five potentially so, elite pitchers. Yeah, so I my point, I guess, what I was what I was gonna say was, you know, Denelson Lamette was great. You have Zach Davies too, who's mm. okay. But you know, if you have Darvish and Snell and Lamette, and if you can get Chris Paddock or Garrett Richards, one of those to pitch well, then you've got an elite four that you can trot out against anyone in the postseason. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's something that I think they lacked last year. That and, and the bullpen as well. But yep. their gonna bullpen be f- was not good. It was not good yeah. whatsoever. Off- and so again, I don't think they're except done. For, except for Superman Pedro Pomeranz. Yeah. <laughs> Drew Pomeranz. Super reliever Drew Pomeranz. Who <laughs> yeah, thought we would have said that after his uh, his second season in Boston or hey, what man, it was third season in Boston, I whatever told it was. You, pitchers are not very good. He he said it. He said it, not me. I just yep. Ugh, Sorry. Whatever. <laughs> He's not going to apologize for that opinion, folks. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't think the Padres are done. I think they're going to go out there. I mean, wow. I don't know if they got mentioned in Liam Hendricks' uh, conversations a lot, right. but uh, again, they're they're not going anywhere. They're here to. The Padres yeah. are here to stay. They're here to be fun, and they're going to be in the conversation for the next couple of years. Yeah, at, at a minimum. Sure. No, uh, absolutely. They're they're here. Yeah, to stay, the, that's for sure. Slam Diego just got a whole lot more fun. 
And Slam for, I like that. For baseball fans, like for neutral baseball fans who don't really have a horse in the race, it's only a good thing. I, I like that on. I mean, good. it's it's not my term. It, it was someone that I think I think Don Orsillo came up with it. Their play by play guy. That's funny. But they uh, they <laughs> hit so many grand slams this year. It's it's stupid. Yeah, no, in that's, a good way. Um, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, we got a couple other a couple other names I want to talk about, and then we have to preview a, a big, big soccer game this weekend. Um, yeah, sure. But we got a couple a couple pitchers who who've just been snapped off the market. Um, we'll start in Atlanta. Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley signing with the Braves, both yeah. on uh, on one year deals, I believe. Mm-hmm. And again, this is this has been prototypical of the Braves in the Alex Anthopoulos era is giving player is giving veterans with either experience or pedigree or ability to rediscover previous season's form, uh, one year contracts, incentive laden contracts, high AAV contracts. And, you know, it's I, I, I don't I don't know what to think of it, because if Mike Soroka doesn't get hurt last yeah. uh, in the beginning of the year, yep. then all of a sudden that series against the Dodgers looks very different because you don't have to start Kyle Wright in a, in a pivotal game three. It means that the Braves can take a 3-0 lead conceivably if if, you know, Anderson pitches the way he does. Reed pitches the way mm-hmm. he does, and Soroka pitches the way he did his rookie yeah. season. You're looking at a very, very good three. Now, that's that's it's always good to think about the if, uh, the if ends or buts. Sure. But again, you don't really know. But having having veterans like Morton and Smiley, I think is going to help younger guys like Anderson and Freed and Kyle Wright develop a little more, mm-hmm. and it'll give Soroka a little less of a burden sure. of being being a true bona fide ace. He can kind of settle into the whole. Yeah. You know, he is Absolutely. one of the better pitchers in the staff, but he doesn't have to be he doesn't have to be seven innings, one mm-hmm. one or fewer runs, you know, twenty times a year. Mm-hmm. Uh it, yeah. it, it helps mean, it helps the rest of the team, I think. And that's for a team that upgraded its bullpen significantly from what it was two years ago, it's sure. there's reason for optimism. I'm still not optimistic though, because it, Atlanta is gonna Atlanta every single Every single day, twice on Sundays, sometimes three times on Sundays if you're the Falcons. Uh, <laughs> so, if I'm a Braves fan, if I'm well, if I'm a Braves fan, not named me, I'm definitely not as optimistic as maybe someone else would be. But that's just because of uh, it comes with the territory. It comes with the history of being a fan and seeing getting your hope, getting your hopes up, getting to the postseason, and then not showing up. Yeah. I have to tell you, I mean, oh, I got to tell you from a casual fan perspective, I think it's got to be really tough to have a team that was that good and that close. And yet, like you said, lose Soroka right at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Right. You're just like, what if we're just one pitcher away? You know, like I I feel that's a really tough one as a fan. Yeah. Um, You know, it's just luck is a part of the game. It is. And I think. That's the thing. Remember, we'll look back, right? We'll just remember that they blew through and lead, right? We won't. Yep. Maybe a lot of people won't remember they lost Soroka. Exactly. To, exactly. You know, injury. Um, what about also? What about um Shane Green? Are they going to resign him? Honestly, it's fifty-fifty. But I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put too much money on it, just because what Shane Green brought to the team 
was not necessarily not necessarily just stability in the road in the bullpen, but it was just another arm. It takes burden off of Melanson, yeah. AJ Minter, about of the high leverage guys. Sure. That Snitker liked to use. I think he realized pretty early on that Shane Green was not going to be the closer. And you know, that's it's not necessarily a bad thing for for Shane Green because you you have someone who has that potential. But mm-hmm. to take the burden off him just, you know, from I guess a psychological perspective is really helpful. So mm-hmm. that's something I think we have to we have to think about uh, when it comes to the bullpen. All that to say, I mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to re-sign him, but if they do, you know, fantastic. If they don't, I think they'll go out and get someone who who can you know play the role that they need uh, a Shane Green to play. Sure. You know, a sixth seventh inning guy who comes in doesn't really yeah. set the bridge, but doesn't you know doesn't really stop the bleeding, but doesn't make it worse i guess yeah no i think um i think that you know right they can get someone like him but he is a key piece but but to your point on i do think that um i'll say this i think that they're kind of taking a little bit of a flyer on smiley and morton mm-hmm. uh be, just because i think you know smiley has been you know an you know not he's okay but not great and you know morton you know, he's a little bit older now. And so, um, I mean, look, I think if you can get good pitching from either one of them, that's a huge plus. But I wouldn't be so sure that either one of them are going to be a hit. I'm not quite sure what you think. Uh, I, I would say that Morton has more of a chance to be a hit than Smiley. Um, yeah. I was, I was very impressed with Smiley, I think, when he came up with, what was it, Kansas City? Um, yeah. When he first came up, I was impressed by him, and then I think he he kind of um, he kind of bounced not bounced around a little bit, but he kind of dropped off. I think he got he got hurt and then dropped off a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to see him succeed, obviously, but again, it it's such a question mark, especially with players on one year deals. Because on one hand, are they motivated to go out and get a bigger bigger payday with yeah. another team, or if you're Charlie Morton, do you think you know I'm 37 years old? do I really want to, you know, try to get, I'm not going to be able to get a, a three, four year deal at this point. So what do I really want? Uh, I just want as much money as I can for, for one year and then try to do what I can to, to help the team succeed. But yep. uh, I, I don't know. I, I think Smi- I think Morton, if anything has, has more of a chance to be successful, sure. but uh, again, I'm not ultimately really you know, jumping, jumping for joy at either one of those names. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, they're good depth signings, but they're not gonna make or break the season for the Braves. Yeah, I mean, I actually, you know, Drew Smiley, he's, he's, you know, he's had a decent career, honestly. But, but yeah, I think look, if you're, if Charlie Morton can give them like a fourth starter in the postseason, that'd be huge. Yeah, you know, play the right, play the role the time. Maybe that could be exactly what they need. Yeah, you know. And I want to pull up this tweet from... There, uh, oh, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I no. was going to say, like, we know, I think he's one of those people, you're signing for October. You know, yeah. it's like one of those signs. It's like, we are signing you just to pitch well in the postseason. Yep, yep, agreed, agreed. And I think they, they know that, and I think he knows that. Yep. So, for sure. you know, we'll see. He's, he's a big game pitcher. We'll see if he can live up to the hype, if the Braves can put him in that position to show them that he is a big game pitcher. Uh, yep. I do want to pull up this tweet from Jared Carabas, 
who's sure. the um, he's one of the uh, Barstool baseball writers. Yeah, uh, sure, he hosts bro. Starting Nine, the uh, the Barstool yeah. podcast. I haven't listened to Starting Nine in a while, but you know, good show. Carabas has a habit of 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 being right in ways you wouldn't expect him to be, and it's not because it's not just because he's you know so close to he's so close to the game and he's so involved in the game but Mm -hmm. it just feels like a lot of the time when i'm listening to what he says on the podcast back when i used to listen to it a lot um it it would just be it'd be scary how he'd get some predictions right how he'd he'd throw a team under the radar and all of a sudden they they do really well or or what have you he tweeted out on uh yesterday actually yesterday morning for what it's worth i have the braves winning the world series in 2021 as of january 13th which was yesterday so Mm -hmm. You know, it, there's there there are people who understand what the Braves are doing, and they understand how good this team could be. That said, it's not it's not a given. Nothing's given, but it's that's not something that I've I've seen in a while because nobody on the Fox crew uh, back in October had the Braves winning the series. They all got it right, of course, but no one had sure. the Braves winning the series. No one had them going up three one in that series. Certainly, no, sure. So. Now the Braves are starting to get national attention, which I personally, as just anecdotally, don't like because it just never feels like it works. It's a it's a feel thing. It's a superstitious thing. Don't worry about it. But I'm gonna hang on. To, I'm gonna hang on to this tweet, January 13th. We'll revisit this in the fall we when we get to uh, when we get to October, and we'll we'll see the Bra- I mean, everything could crash and burn in the Braves' face for all we know. But you know, if last season yeah. any indication and the the kind of trend they've been on the last few years, then. There is reason for optimism, but then you we, added the fact and, it's an Atlanta team, and then that optimism goes away very quickly. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think there are so many reasons to be optimistic in the last few years, and like you said, even just you know, look, if Ian Anderson pitches like he did in the postseason, man, like that team is you know, so there's a lot of a lot of good signs, you know, to to come. Yes, for sure, very much so, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of the names to, to mention. Uh, and then there's obviously some names that are still on the board that haven't been signed uh, by anyone particularly. Uh, Alex yeah. Wood, who's you know who's never been a outstanding you know superstar starter or a pitcher, mm-hmm. but he's a very solid either middle of the rotation guy or back end of the bullpen kind of guy, some kind of long reliever setup guy maybe. Yep. Signing with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, the Giants, I feel like, are in a little bit of a they're kind of stuck in neutral right now. They have been since I think. Uh, for the last what couple years? Yep, that's right. But you know, their general manager Farhan Zaidi used to be the Dodgers GM or, or uh, one of the main baseball baseball guys for the Dodgers. So yep. there is potential there. They yeah. very quietly building something. Um, mm-hmm. Is it going to be this that every other year magic they had for a few years? Probably not. But it, you know, stranger things have happened, of course. Yeah. You know, you're absolutely right, Owen. They're a team that's, you know, fringe playoff contention, mm-hmm. I would say. And so a starter like him who, you know, look, he came back last year and at the end of the year he was pitching well. So, hey, if he can give you a decent starter, um, you know, that'd be really good for them. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. Um, speaking of back end of the bullpen, uh, this is a name that was on everyone's everyone's list for – reliever who's going to go very quickly and the market's going to be very aggressive for him. Yeah. Uh, Liam Hendricks going to the Chicago White Sox. Uh, yeah. I think it was three years, $54 million. Yep. Um, that's exactly what they need. 
back out of the bullpen. He's a known quantity. Uh, didn't have a great postseason, from what I remember, with with Oakland this year. But yeah, he didn't. He didn't. But um, you know, obviously, the stuff is there, the ability is there, and the experience is there. So yeah, he. I think he is exactly what the doctor ordered. Really, I mean, yeah. this this you know this bullpen um, was probably the weakest part of their team. Um, you could argue um, mm-hmm. they they upgraded it. Um, they they did. You know they have some okay pitchers in the bullpen, but mm-hmm. they he's a you know a. You know, hey, there there I would say maybe a starter, maybe another piece in the bullpen, and a star another starter away from really contending. Yeah, being uh, like a serious. Contender. We missed the first bit of that. What what was the first bit of what you said right there? Oh, I would say that they they are maybe a starter away and a relief pitcher away mm. from really contending in the postseason yeah i'd agree so i think that that he's he's what they needed i think they're they've got a little bit of of work left to do and they're again the weird one when i think about the white Sox, you think about firing what was it they fired uh rick renteria renteria yep and uh hired tony la russa (laughs) for a supposed new generation of players could, could be a really good or bad I'm not quite sure. It's a coin flip for sure. You you don't really know what to expect from that. But like, I just think of, yeah, I mean, the way some of these guys play with so much flair mm-hmm. and Tony Larusa, I don't know. It's a, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a weird fit, but yeah. Hey, he'll slide, you know, him and, you know, he'll slide right next to Aaron Bummer. Like that'll be a really good fit for, for, uh, for Chicago. I think that, and you know, with Cleveland sliding down, it's them in Minnesota should battle it out for the division. So. Yeah, and Minnesota only got worse. I want to read this this tweet. We you and I talked about this before before we started recording yeah. uh, from Jeff Passan, mm-hmm. um, one of the main ESPN writers, mm-hmm. who talked about the seven of the eight American League playoff teams uh, besides Chicago. Sure. Um, who what they've done in the offseason so far? Now, granted, it's only January fourteenth. Spring training is well, at least the start of pitchers and catching report, pitchers and catchers reporting. Excuse me, is only yeah. a month away, but still, uh, Tampa Bay traded Blake Snell. Obviously, didn't pick up Morton's option. They designated or they non-tendered Hunter Renfro and they signed Michael Walker to a three million dollar deal, who was a six point six two ERA last year or from last year. Yeah. So not a you know crazy signing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minnesota, they non-tendered Eddie Rosario, uh, and yeah. they let Matt Whistler walk. Uh, I, I don't. Again, you and I talked about this. I don't know why he included Matt Whistler. Matt Whistler has a career ERA of five. Uh, sure. The only reason he was good this year is because he had limited appearances, and in limited appearances, I think he had an ERA under under three or under two. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, not great. And they signed Hansel Robles to a deal, which is a you know yeah. that could that could be a good signing. I mean, they really need some some help there. Yeah. So that, that could be. But Robles. But I do think Eddie, Eddie Rosario yeah. is a, a loss for them. Right. For sure. That's that's a big one for sure. Uh but a ten point six a ten point two six ERA from from Robles is not exactly uh the kind no. of thing you would you would want in the back end of your bullpen. Uh we've talked about Liam Hendricks already leaving the A's and going to the White Sox. Um they also lost Robbie Grossman. Uh they also could lose Simeon and Tommy Lastella up the middle, and they haven't oh. signed any free agents. So that's a worry. Uh, we've talked about Cleveland as well. They haven't signed anyone either. And yep. um, the Yankees, Astros, and Blue Jays. The Yankees haven't signed LeMahieu. They haven't re-signed LeMahieu. Um, Houston hasn't really done anything. And Toronto re-signed Robbie Ray as the only real 
move they've mm. made so far. So sure. I think the I think the oh go ahead sorry no 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 I'm just saying so so the opportunity for Chicago for the White Sox is there. It's just whether or not yep. they they take it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. The opportunity for Chicago is absolutely there. I mean, they'll definitely be favorites. Um, I think. Like I said, they just need man. If they can, if they can just get one more starter, they would be so so good. Yep. But Agreed. um, speaking of those teams, I do want to say real quick. I think the the big domino to fall is uh, George Springer wherever he goes. Mm. Um. If he, I mean, geez, if he went to the Mets. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the Astros, without him, that's a big loss if they lose him. So yep. um, that, will, that could really change the MLB. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of different uh, moving pieces in the offseason. And I do want to highlight a few. I, I didn't even think about Springer uh, when we were going through this yep. segment trying to figure out some, some players who haven't signed yet. But there's four players yep. I want to kind of mention who haven't signed yet, and they're, they're ones that, for our listeners who are interested in the baseball side, uh, to kind of think about. Um, JT Realmuto yep. from formerly of the Phillies uh, and the Marlins. Yep. He hasn't signed anywhere. Yeah. He's you got to think Philadelphia may make a push to sign him, but he's the best catcher on the market right now, he for is. sure, offensively oh, and defensively. Really good. Yep. Uh, we've talked about him before already in the, in the show, but Trevor Bauer, he's he's mm-hmm. one you have to keep your eyes on as well. Uh, Corey Absolutely. Kluber threw for twenty some odd teams a couple days ago, and he apparently looked really yeah. good. Uh, and his his yep. velo set I think eighty eight to ninety, but it's only going to get better uh, because yeah, you know we're sure. we're in January. And we talked about him as well, but DJ LeMahieu as well, who hasn't resigned with New York and is apparently fed up with what they tried to offer him. And so he's kind of yep. thinking about, he's probably going to go elsewhere. So yeah. those are four very, very like not franchise changing, but those are, those are four yeah. very significant well, names. I'll tell you what, Owen. I mean, those are four very significant names, but I think the match made in heaven, I'll tell you right now, if Chicago gets Trevor Bauer. I mean, mm-hmm. they're right there for, yep. for the uh, World Series, in my opinion. Yeah. No, that's, Bauer, that's a, yep. Bauer is going to make any fringe contender a contender. I mean, that much from a from a pure production standpoint. If he produces anywhere close to what he did last year, they're going from fringe to contender, and contenders are going to be favorites uh, if yep. they can sign Bauer. Sure. No, I definitely agree as well. I think LeMahieu is one of the interesting ones because... He was the most consistent Yankee hitter over the last two seasons. He was. He was incredible. By far. Ever since he got there from Colorado. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he once he got to New York, he didn't stop hitting. And yeah. it's ridiculous almost how they could look at a player. I mean, yes, he's on the wrong side of 30, but someone who produces like that in the American League is almost invaluable. I yep. mean, even if he's not the defensive player he was, you could still use his bat, and that's not something that that goes all that quickly. And he's not a, he's not like a, a speed guy who has really quick hands and relies on that, like a like a Mookie Betts type player. He's just a very good hitter. Yeah, no, he's. I mean, one of the best hit. He could be the best hitter in the MLB. Yeah, you know, he's, just best, he's that good. Just pure hitter with a, an approach kind of that's almost tailored for Yankee Stadium. Yeah, uh, I mean, who knows? They could come back to the table with a with a massive offer. They they could you know yeah. see like a Boston or another American League team making a big move and and say you know what we don't want to be left behind. We have a good team and we need to you know kind of go more all in than, than we have in the last couple of years. So I'll tell you, Owen. I think I mean I've seen some rumors about this, but 
I actually think a team that would be really interesting for LeMahieu is is a Toronto. Mm. I think yeah. that that fit in the infield would be really exciting. That would make Toronto very exciting to watch. Oh yeah, to talk Did about that... the youngsters oh. on that team the uh, the oh, the sons of of former uh, yeah. uh, MLB players. You got Vladdy Jr., Kevin yep. Biggio, yep. Guriel Jr. Bo yeah. Bichette, and then you add oh the veteran DJ LeMahieu to that lineup. That's offensively, that's that's where that's <laughs> what you want to see. You're a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, that's for sure. Exactly, exactly. I think yeah, starting pitching for them is still going to be a question mark because Hyunjin Ryu, yeah. uh, maybe not the best. I mean, he had a good regular season, but in the postseason, he was not good. Yep. Uh, in the in the short series they had. That's their. That's that's what they need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But first. You know, you definitely add LeMahieu to that, and you have a whole new ball game. And look, I think that, you know, for I, – I just think, look, I, I mean, I, I think that they, they're fringe. They're just a piece or two away. But regardless, like, from a neutral span's perspective, I think Toronto is just such a – they're maybe the top of the list of teams to watch. Yeah, I think they're American – they're the American League San Diego, but a couple years behind. Yep, I would, I would completely agree. I think they just need that one big signing, not named Ryu, yep. to, to solidify I, themselves as true contenders. I, I completely agree. I completely so, agree. Whoever one of those four, plus George Springer, whoever one of those four goes first, I think is going to tell us a lot more about what the landscape is going to look like, particularly in the National League. Uh, yep. Like who who of those teams is going to challenge the Dodgers the most? Because the Mets are making a play at it with... Uh, with Lindor and Carrasco. Yes, they are. Uh, the Padres are making a run at it with Snell and Darvish. And you get a sense that they're not done either because they have to play the Dodgers 18, 19 times a year in a 162-game oh, season. And, and keep this in mind real quick. The Mets are in the the discussions. I mean, they're in at least a lot of rumors mm-hmm. with both George Springer and Trevor Bauer. Yep. <laughs> so imagine, I mean, geez, their team could be, that starting staff could just be so good. Steve Cohen is by ready to way, spend money. By the way, I mean, I don't even want to call him underrated, but I feel like he is. Like, Jacob deGrom might be the most underrated pitcher in baseball. I, I think it's because he's, like, you know, he's played for the Mets well, for the last few years. They have, yeah, man. It's just like they have, it's just like, you know, they made the one run to the World Series, but for the most part, you know, they haven't been very good. And, and deGrom every single year is ridiculously good, you know. Didn't didn't he win the Cy Young with a losing record? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean that that just shows you. It's like he he's played for the Mets his entire career, and he's produced even if the team yeah, around him hasn't produced. Up. They they just can't put a lineup together. So. No, but hey, Lindor yeah. maybe is the catalyst for that, and maybe they go out and get Real Muto. Maybe they get Lemayhew. Who knows? Cohen is ready to spend money. That's that's all you need okay. to know about the Mets. Yeah. Would it be? Here's a hot take: Francisco Francisco Lindor hits more home runs than Pete Alonso. I don't think it's out of the question. I don't think it's out of the question. Okay. I don't yeah, think it's out I, of the question. All right. Because you get the I'll, feeling Lindor was not necessarily happy in Cleveland. Uh, he was in not Cleveland. And last year. The last year showed it. Yeah. So a change of scenery. He gets to live in New York. You know, yep. maybe it's it's uh, it's something that's just more comfortable and it's it's a better fit for yep. Francisco Lindor, the person, not necessarily Francisco Lindor, the baseball player. Yeah. So I mean, no, it, sure. it's again, it's something that we're going to be keeping our eyes on for Hopefully sure. It doesn't turn into uh, Robinson Cano. Oh, no, that would be bad. That Very would not be great. 
No. Oh boy, Robinson Cano doing Robinson Cano type things. Gotta love it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I do yeah. want to mention one more name before we get on to soccer, though, because we've got the the Liverpool Manchester United game to talk about briefly uh, before we wrap up the show. Sure. Theo Epstein. Theo mm. Epstein accepting a job in the commissioner's office. Um, yeah. Obviously, he's one of the more accomplished baseball minds of this generation. Uh, obviously, the architect behind Boston's run to the World Series in 2004, uh, Chicago's run in 2016. You know, he wasn't the only guy in both of those situations, but he was a, a very important part of it. And I think... Honestly, it's just good for baseball to have a guy like Theo Epstein mm. in in a role that is I don't think the role specifically has been has been discussed a lot, but it's it's a baseball, it's like an on-field centric role. Mm. So it's it's basically something to do with how the game is played and and the kind of details. And I think that's that's a good thing for baseball because he's just a really good baseball mind. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that I yep. think He's a smart, very very intelligent guy. I think that's something that quite honestly, that Rob Manfred doesn't have right now. Um, of course, losing Tony La Russa, who is kind of in that sort of role, not that role specifically, but kind of an advisor to yeah. Major League Baseball. I think that's it's, it's helpful because Manfred, if, at least from, from my perspective, has kind of lost it a little bit with some of the stuff he's trying to do. The, the three reliever minimum was kind of, I understand the reasoning for it, but I don't like the execution of it. I don't like that it had to be a thing either. Personally. I, yeah, I, um, um, pace of play, I think he, he's too focused on that and not focused on, you know, other things like maybe, I don't know, disciplining the Astros more so than they, he did. Like yeah, you have a team sure. that egregiously stole signs for multiple years and, and they get one year suspensions for two of the, no, I'd agree. two of yeah. the managers or coaches involved and, and they lose a draft pick. So what? it's a player driven scandal. You have to punish the players too. It, I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. No, Not I, Rob I, I, I do. No, I, I, I do agree with you. He's made a lot of, I'd say decisions that were unpopular and the Astros are at the forefront. Um, and even some of these rule changes were kind of minor. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, I think Theo Epstein, look, he's a really, really smart guy. I think he can provide some really unique insight. For sure. I mean, he is like a genius. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does. I'm excited yeah. to see what he does. Uh, before we move on, I want to just quickly, what is your take on, on the following statement? Theo Epstein is going to be the commissioner of baseball within the next five years. Yes or no? No. Hmm. I, I'd, say, I'd say yes with the caveat that it's like it's in his fifth year. Because I think Owen, I think Manfred I, is not a very popular commissioner, especially among the players. But I, I would say, oh, and I what I would say though is, what I would counter that is, um, commissioners don't usually have a playing background or like, a, you know, a front office background. Like you know, uh, you know, Adam Silver was the lawyer, Rob Manfred was the lawyer, I think Roger Goodell was a lawyer. If I'm not making mistaken, right? Like I would say. Sure, he's maybe smart enough, but I just feel like as commissioner, it's you know, it's about the logo, you know, it's about the brand more so than the on-field stuff. You know, it's mm. much more about the business. So yeah. that's what I would I would say. Where, you know, maybe he'd be an advisor, but as a commissioner, I'm not sure. I, who knows? Honestly, it's it's a toss-up. And 
I say that only because I, I think Manfred is not all that popular as a commissioner. I think if you ask a lot of players... He's definitely not. He's, he's not a very popular commissioner. Not, um, particularly compared to the other American leagues. Yeah, I mean, Adam Silver, I think, has that has that title of best commissioner yeah. in, in any American sport. But the I players think like easily. The player, sure. Players love Adam Silver. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just seems like he has their best interests at heart in addition to the yep. owners who he primarily serves as commissioner. Yep. Uh, but you know, I, I don't think it's out of the, out of the realm of possibility that Theo Epstein could do that again. Yeah. He doesn't have yeah. that law background. He's more of the analytics numbers guy, but you know, again, stranger things have happened. And I think he's at, at one point we may think we just want someone who, who understands, who understands not necessarily the ins and outs of, of the game, but who understands the players. And I yeah, think someone I mean, who's been a in a general point. manager type role is going to be more successful as a commissioner than someone who has a legal background and someone who's better at negotiating with the players association or working with yeah. owners to, you know, establish, um, like with this season in particular to establish, uh, prorated salaries for, um, yeah. for a shorted season yeah. and, and negotiating things like Definitely that. So I think that will, will help yeah. from a relationship standpoint. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's impossible. And I think, you know, five years is kind of, is kind of quick, but I think he's just he's just one of those people who's he's his name is always involved when there's big things in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's two agree. of the bigger championship droughts he's basically ended, not by himself, and but and, yeah. and then again, you think about you think about his names all over draft picks that have turned into major league superstars. I mean, how many yeah. players? How many players has he drafted who are currently who currently stars in the MLB? <laughs> I mean, he sure. drafted. I don't know if he drafted Mookie Betts. No, I think he moved on by the time they drafted. But I think they probably no, he, had a name. He, they probably had Mookie Betts' name by that point. Oh, yeah. But it just go, uh, it goes back yeah. so many years. How many players have turned into stars that he drafted specifically? No, absolutely, absolutely. What a what a stud he is. And it's yeah. kind of sad to see him not run a team. Yeah, that's been. I'll miss him like in the game, and maybe he'll return. Right. You know, he he may there may not have been something that he wanted to do as far as, uh, as far as man, uh, being a general manager of a team or president of baseball operations of a specific team. There may have been an opportunity that Manfred tossed his way that he thought was really good or, you know, uh, yeah. we don't know the or decision maybe, making. You know, but... Maybe he just wanted to change things up. He was a little yeah. bored or something. You never know. You never know. Too demanding possibly. Could be. Yeah. Being a GM is stressful. I'm sure. Oh. Especially this time of year. Yeah. You're telling me. Yeah. Anyways, uh, moving on to the other side of the pond, we had a really big game on Sunday. I mean, this is the biggest game of, of the year in, in English football. I mean, it's twice a year, obviously, but this is the big one. It's Liverpool United, and this is the first time since, I think, what was it, 2008, 2009, when both of them are one and two in the table. It's been a long That's time a since they stuff. were both at the top, and they were both, you know, mm-hmm. At this point in the season, not, you know, not the first three, four games, but at this point, yeah. one and two in the season. And mm-hmm. so I, I talked about this in the, in our little group chat with, uh, with the Arsenal guys. Um, and you and I had a, a little segue, a little sidebar yeah. about it, but based on the first 17 games so far this season, we're almost at the halfway point based on the first games so far this year. Uh, for me, as someone who's seen both really good and really bad from Liverpool this year. Uh, yeah. This game, I think, only goes one way. It's a 2-0 win to United. It's a okay. penalty in stoppage time at the end of the first half, 
and it's a goal and stoppage an injury time at the end of the first half and it's a goal and stoppage time uh to yeah. seal it on a counterattack. I, I think that's the only way this game goes realistically well interesting okay um and why would you... oh i think we lost you what was that oh so why why and why would you why do you think 2-0 on so i think as of late um the one thing liverpool have missed is a little bit of defensive stability um mm. joel matip is probably not going to be fit for the game so mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't count on him playing so at the back it'll be either fabinho and henderson or fabinho and i mm. think nat phillips i think klopp is going to mm. be a little more hesitant to play reese williams um, and I think Nat Phillips is more of a, a, a more natural mm -hmm. replacement for mm -hmm. for Gomez and or Van Dyke. Not he's not a replacement for either one of them, but mm -hmm. he's more along those lines, more so than Reese Williams is. Um, plus, he's kind of a cold hero because again, we talked about this. He was brought back from loan, knocked out Everton, and then sent back on loan immediately after that game, which to me is yep. always funny. Um, <laughs> sure. So it'll be one of those two pairings, I think, um, and. It'll be one of those things where it, it's end to end in the first half, and yep. neither team can find of kind of find that that finish. Um, but either Fabinho or or one of the defenders maybe makes a rash challenge in the penalty area and concedes a penalty. Sure. Fernandez uh, scores because he scores every penalty, and Allison doesn't save any. I don't think Allison has saved a single penalty at Liverpool. Maybe maybe uh, one in a shootout. Wow. Really? Yeah, I, I can't remember Allison saving anything really? from the from the from the penalty spot. Yeah, I mean, um, man. Yeah, I, I can't think. I can't think of anything. Um, but that and then and then United are going to do classic United. They're going to park. The, they're not not necessarily park the bus, but they're going to absorb a lot of pressure and let Liverpool try to try to break them down. And Liverpool have not been as creative as of late. They haven't had that goal scoring edge since they scored seven at Crystal Palace. Um, and yeah. They're going to struggle to score. They're going to be wasteful with opportunities. And then yeah. Marcus Rashford's going to score in the 92nd minute on I, I, a counterattack. I, um, I think one thing I'm really curious about, and I mean, obviously, like, you know, the defense with the Van Dyke injury um, and just the revolving, you know, when Matip and, you know, Gomez and Matip, are, I mean, that that's a, and, you know, Trent's form. That's obviously a big issue, but I am curious about the offensive side, you know, um, the front three isn't quite firing. They don't get a ton of goals from the midfield. And, you know, recently, that's really been the theme, I think, in the last three games. You know, um, the Newcastle game, they they had probably a handful of good chances. They, you know, on another day, they could have won. You know, West Brom, they, you know, scored early and then didn't didn't score again. And then, you know, Southampton game, I thought, took in the first half, they were pretty poor. Yeah. So I, I think that that's... Um, that that's one thing I'm I'm looking forward to, and the reason that I think, uh, and and that's the reason that I think um, Liverpool in this game, I think they're going to press, they're going to be at their absolute energetic best, and I just think that they're going to be clinical enough in, in front of goal yeah. to score a goal or two. Yeah. I, I don't think that they'll struggle this game. I think they'll be up for it. Yeah, I mean, hey, I, I'd like you to be right, and and you know, based on our evidence of. Liverpool not being in these long ruts for too long under Klopp, especially in the last few years. I think there's more likely than not going to be some sort of rebound. And I think the wild card in this scenario is going to be Thiago, whether or not he starts and mm. what kind of impact he has in the game. Because to me, what, what 
the worrying trend is is and this is something the players have said too henderson i think and robertson have said this a couple times is that they in the fulham game particularly they just weren't up for it in the first half and that's not something you'd ever say with liverpool the last two three years and mm-hmm. to me it's a little bit of complacency because you you look at a team that won the first title in the premier league era yeah. in the premier league era and then the first title in 30 years for a club that has had a long history with being one of the best if not the best club in england sure you know that it, it weighs on the players a lot because of how much it means emotionally to the city and how much they put into it over the last few years. So maybe a little yep. bit of complacency as well. I think yeah. it also doesn't help if you have a guy like Tiago who comes in. Yes, Tiago, I'm sure is hungry to prove himself in a new country and a new league, and he's already kind of endeared himself to the fan base, especially on social media. Um, and just watching him play is like is watching a, a sort of player Liverpool haven't had in my lifetime yeah. that, since I've been a fan. It, it, just watching him on the ball is like it, it's literally sure. like watching an artist i i yeah no. i have i don't recall seeing anything like but, it but i no absolutely right no he he's he's incredible but, but what what I'm, what i was getting with tiago is he comes from a club that just won the treble too right so he won all there is to win at bayern munich i'm pretty sure he won the league at barcelona once or twice and mm-hmm. now he's at liverpool who just won the league and the challenge is repeating as league champions yeah so there's a little bit and of complacency I'm, Klopp needs to get rid of, I think. Sure. But I also do hope, I mean, you would think, I mean, obviously he's just got back from injury. You'd hope that changing things up, freshening the squad a little bit. All, there is definitely some complacency, but maybe a player like him who wants to prove himself in the long run when he's back to really full fitness and playing every week, you know, could help push them. But there's definitely, there's definitely complacency. Some of it's just struggling, and some of it's just injuries. But th- look, there there is definitely complacency. Look, last year I, I said this a lot. Last year, Liverpool won a ton of close games, and mm-hmm. the, yes, they were before the the shutdown. They were other than that Watford result. I mean, they were so good, but there were just so many games on where they they won close games. Mm-hmm. And this year, it's just the difference of the ball kind of you know doesn't bounce the right way, mm-hmm. you know, and um. But I, I will say this. Um, I, I, I do think that the defense is... I, I mentioned the front three, but what I am curious about, Owen, is can the defense hold up in big games? You know, for example, right, like Liverpool and Southampton, right? Danny Ings scores the goal on the set piece, and, you know, they could have marked better in the box. It's just the problem is... You know, in these tight games, you know, Liverpool can absolutely blow you away, but it's in these tight games that they won last year, right? A mm-hmm. defensive mistake could make all the difference. Yeah, oh my god. You wanna so, you wanna go through all the all the close games they won last year? I mean it was it was Palace away, Villa away, Sheffield away, uh United at home, City at home. I mean so City wasn't a close game, but winning that game is always huge for momentum. Oh, sure. Um Spurs, I think, at home and away, yep. actually. Both, uh, both. Yeah. So, Aston Villa at uh, away. Uh, yeah, Aston Villa away. West Ham at home. West. Yeah, exactly. So there's there, you could keep you could go on and on and on about the games they the games they won that they really shouldn't have or the really close games that they ended up pulling out at the last second. So you know it, it's one of those things where everything went right last year and everything that 
didn't go right that went right last year isn't going as well this year. I mean, yes, there have been certain situations like the yeah. Firmino winner against uh, against Tottenham. Um, you know, it it's one of those weird things that it's just sometimes yeah. the ball breaks your way and it, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's, it doesn't, and that's what makes repeating as champion so hard. And you do have to give Pep Guardiola and City a lot of credit, lot of credit. for what they were able to accomplish in those two years. And and I'll I'll get to Guardiola in a minute. When we talk about our hot takes, and it's it's a take, it's not a new one, but it's a refreshed version of this of the same okay. take. So, and but again, it's, I think, yeah, you know. and I think you know, conversely with Manchester United, they've flipped the reverse. I mean, Manchester United has has won a lot of close games. They haven't looked overly impressive, but their waveform has been really good. They've won a lot of close games. You know, they they keep coming back to win the games, yeah. and they've they're playing in these open games with. You know, and they've found a way to, you know, integrate Pogba finally. Yep. So I think it's, and, you know, Rashford's playing out of his mind. So I, I can't wait for this game. I can't wait to see, like, you know, when Liverpool, if they have the energy, I mean, they're definitely going to, but I mean, what I'm very curious to see, why I think it's going to be a fascinating game from a soccer perspective, is just like, you know, Man United with their talent and pace going forward, like, Liverpool's going to press them, but if they get beaten there, I mean, Man United's going to punish them. Yep. So I'm, I'm very excited to see the cat and mouse game. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a very intriguing matchup. And I think, you know, Man yeah. United Liverpool is always a big game, but this one specifically, I think it's bigger than anyone since God, since 2013, no, 2008, 2009, probably with the, the Torres, uh, Torres and Gerrard years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to, I do want to get your take on this though, because. Okay. We talked about this a little early. We talked about a couple players. I want to get, okay. th- in your opinion, three players to watch in this game. Okay. Um, interesting. Okay, I'll give you a few. Um, you mean are you saying on on either team or just for, just just for one of the teams? three players in the okay. game to watch? Sure. Three players. All right. Number one, I'm actually going to say Eric Bai. Mm. I think. Um... Oh, I think we lost him for a All second. Right. Oh, there he is. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So, you know, he's come in the team mm-hmm. uh, instead of Lindelof, and I think if he can, you know, he's played really well the last couple of games. He's played really well against Villa and played, you know, fine against Burnley. Mm-hmm. So, I think if he can play well this game, Manchester United looks like a stud. Um, I would say the the I would say the 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 second one would be Jordan Henderson. I think that um I think they lose a lot when he's not in the midfield. Um so hopefully I think they play him in the midfield. Yeah. And I just think he's such a a spark for them and I think in the middle with whoever it is, Fernandez and probably, you know, Pogba and Matic, I think they really need to dominate that that middle of the field. And then I would say the, you know, I would say that the third player, probably Marcus Rashford, he, um, you know, he, he's been playing, you know, extremely well. And, uh, you know, um, we'll see if, you know, they, uh, I'm fascinated to see um, him and, Al- uh, sorry, uh, Robertson how that battle goes down the side. So, so those are my three. 
Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I think those they're they're all ones to watch. I think Bayou is the one curveball. Um, I wasn't expecting mm. you to mention that, but he, yeah, you're right. I, I think they've they've looked a lot more solid defensively since um, since he's come back in the team over Lindelof. Yep. Um, for my end, I've already mentioned I've already mentioned one of them, uh, Tiago. Obviously, yeah. I think I think he should start um, because sure. he he's going to help with the creativity. He's he's going to help with I think the spark that the front three really need. Um, yeah. We saw glimpses at, at Newcastle. We saw a little bit of Southampton, but I think ultimately he has the kind of quality that can make or break a game for, for a team, especially since Alexander Arnold's form hasn't been all that good this year. Um, sure. Particularly of late since he came back from the injury. Um, mm-hmm. Alexander Arnold is the other one, one of the other two I want to mention. Um, okay. Because again, he, he lost possession 38 times against Southampton. He just, oh, he had a, maybe his worst game, probably his worst game as a professional. Yeah. yeah. But it's to be expected. I mean, he's tw- what is he? Twenty two years old. He's a scouser, yeah. so winning the league means more yeah. to him and to Curtis Jones and to other uh, Liverpool yeah. youngsters than it does really anyone else in the squad. Um, mm. You know, it, it's 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 hard to to replicate the form he's had the last couple seasons. And and Klopp has talked about it brilliantly in his press conferences and in interviews. He said. Yeah, he's a 22-year-old kid. You're not going to expect him to be, you know, at at his best every single day, every single every single yeah. match, every single second. You know, he's a kid. So, it's just cuz he set yeah. a ridiculously high standard for himself. So, you know, that I think is the the appropriate response and I think he's going to be one to watch how well uh-huh. he plays against United. I mean, you know he's going to be up for the game as a a, a scouser born and bred. Yeah, no, so, sure. He's one he's one to keep an eye on for sure. And then the third one and this one is probably, as of late, not as popular to talk about. But Paul Pogba. Pogba is notorious for disappearing in big games. Yep. Where, Champions League final in 2015 against Barcelona. Invisible. Uh, pretty much every yep. other game he's played, every other big game he's played, the Manchester Derby, with the exception of the 2018 Manchester Derby, where he sparked the comeback from, uh, from 2-0 down at halftime against City. So... What? I mean, that's that's only really one big game we can think about of late that we've said, yeah, Pogba stepped up and grabbed that game by the scruff of its neck and sure. he won it. Right. No, so, that's, yeah. You know, I, I think recently he's been a little better about, you know, his performances yes. in big games, but he still has that capability. And this is the biggest game he's played in for I, a I, long I, time. I would anticipate. I'm curious to see what they do, but um, how they line up. I think they're better when they're more attacking, but I wouldn't be surprised to um they in the Aston Villa game they played uh I think it was Fred and McTominay as holders and then they had uh they put Pogba on the left of a little more advanced role next to Fernandez to kind of allow him to get more forward and yeah, no absolutely on I- I'm curious to see if he's gonna work hard because you know against Liverpool you gotta try to curtail that you know liverpool is going to work hard yeah so i'm very curious to see i mean he's deaf that's definitely a, a big wild card could he truly do this and you know is his head all the way there if hey if menu wins and goes six, opens up a six point gap at the top of the table he might be like wow like this is a great club for me you know what i mean yeah We're contending so. exactly and and one sure. of the things as well to to keep an eye on i think is is going to be the team selection because you have yeah. to assume if if Man United's midfield and attacking 
attacking three is Rashford, Martial, um, Dan James, Fernandez, and Pogba against Liverpool's mid three of probably Henderson, Wijnaldum, and Thiago. Mm-hmm. I mean, which which one of those midfielders is going to come out on top? It's because Wijnaldum mm-hmm. is going to cover every, every blade of grass. Henderson's going to be Henderson. Yeah. It's yep. it's going to be that that X factor of of who is going to try to stop Tiago and what is what kind of influence is he going to have on the game? Or conversely, is Liverpool going to have to do what they can to contain Pogba, which might leave Fernandez open and vice versa? So there's a lot of quality on both sides, and yeah. it's just interesting. It'll be interesting to see the team news when it comes out, and then ultimately how what the shape looks like and and how they play within the first twenty minutes or so. Yeah, I'm 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 definitely really fascinating. That midfield battle is going to be great. Yeah. And I think I think one stat that made me feel a little bit better about the game, but I'm still again very nervous and I think United's going to end up winning uh is that this year against the Big 6, United have uh they've picked up one point in the league and they lost away in the FA Cup. Um mm. games against yep. Yeah, so games against the Big 6 this year they've picked up one point. Yeah. Which well, isn't good. They always maybe two uh, points. Always, I don't know. They always do seem to pick up a point against Liverpool. Yeah, uh, Liverpool. I think so. Last year, the game at Old Trafford was uh, annoying to to say the okay. least. Stalemate. Um, yeah, it was. It was uh, zero zero. They didn't. Yeah, what? they didn't. I, I was thinking of two years ago, just now. Um, they didn't. They didn't leave their own penalty area. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. They okay. they 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 didn't leave. They didn't. They didn't play football. They kind of did what Everton did. They didn't. They didn't play football at all. Which, you know, it is yeah. what it is. Um, but the game at Anfield last year, I mean, that was kind of, you know, the difference in that game was Van Dyke scoring yep. early from a set piece. Sure. And Liverpool haven't had that ability on set pieces this year because they don't have the aerial threat that is Van Dyke, which opens up space for other players. Yeah. And if they can't Likes. contain Van Dyke, it's probably going to score. Yeah, he's a big threat. It's a big threat set pieces. So you know it it is it is the biggest game in the count in the football year for uh for English English football for a reason. Uh mm-hmm. and I think, you know, hopefully hopefully Saturday will be no different or Sunday will be no different. Um, you know, that said we've been disappointed before by by this fixture. Also, I'm, I'm gonna throw this out there real quick. Yeah. I think uh, an X factor in the game. I didn't mention him just because I don't know if he's gonna play, but I think Curtis Jones could be a really key part. Mm. He's the most dynamic midfield player Liverpool have in terms of going forward. I think so. If he plays, maybe starts, but if he comes off the bench and it's a tie game, he could provide that offensive spark, I think. Yeah, I think we may, if it's a close game, we may see him with about 20 minutes left in the game. And you know yep. he'll be up for it. That that much yeah, is not yeah. up for discussion. Um, mm-hmm. he, he and Trent are going to be up for it for sure. It's what kind of performance they can have, what kind of impact they can have on the game that I think mm-hmm. is going to determine, you know, ultimately whether it's a close game or whether it's a, you know, a mm-hmm. one-sided, one-sided thrashing. But I don't think it's ever going it, to... It's usually never one of those games, especially when, you know, it's it's hard enough playing against Manchester United as is, but then you have to play against the referees as well. Um, it's mm-hmm. tough. I mean, they have a habit of of wherever you play, even if you're at Old Trafford or on the road, of, of if you're a big club, they're not going to let you play football. They're just going to mm-hmm. be disruptive and annoying and try to hit you on the counterattack because that's just who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have a clear identity yep. under Ole, but they have they that. They really don't. 
they have that Manchester United identity, which is still that's when annoying. They're at their best. That's definitely when they're at their best. Yeah. Is when they're on the, you know, the counterattack and yep. stuff. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, lot to look forward to, both in the short term, both this yep. coming Sunday and in the and in the long term with uh, baseball, and then of course Sunday with the Browns yeah, yeah. and the NFL oh. and the draft. So, great. yeah, great. a lot of stuff to NFL talk about, and we've talked about a lot in our kind yep. of return from hiatus, if you will. But now yes, it's the exciting part. It's time for the hot takes. hot takes. Yes. And you and I were talking briefly about this. Regardless of how hot they are, we're just going to let them fly. That's what we do. Yeah. That's what we do. So I preface this a little bit. I'll, I'll go first because I, we've been talking about okay. this a little bit. I preface it a little bit when we talk, started talking about uh, the Liverpool Man United game. But a certain Spanish manager uh, was ranked number two in uh, it was a ranking of the top managers in the world. I can't remember the body or or how the ranking came to be, but it was it was an accumulation of specific points uh, by certain managers. And number one on this list was Diego Simeone, which I have my issues with, but we'll get to in a second. Number two was Pep Guardiola, and he's one I want, who I want to talk about. Number three was Klopp, uh, for obvious reasons. Okay. But number two was Pep Guardiola, and okay, the outrage with Pep with not obviously the managers themselves but the outrage of this with people who follow football which is billions of people around the world is oh no pep guardiola is the most he's the best manager in the world why why isn't he number one well the thing with pep guardiola and i've had this stance before i'll say it again pep guardiola is successful because he has always had elite resources at his disposal period sure whether it's the quality of players he has Go, managing a squad with Xavi, Iniesta, Puyol, and some guy named Lionel Messi mm-hmm. as you start out as a manager, okay? And then you go to Bayern Munich, who just won the treble and basically signed every good player from the Bundesliga, basically <laughs> neutralizing yeah, their competition and setting ridiculous records. And obviously Bayern have regressed since he left, but still, they're, you know, Hansi Flick did what Pep couldn't and won the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Hansi Flick won the trouble with Bayern and Pep couldn't do it in the three years he was there. Mm-hmm. And then at Manchester City, yes, he mm-hmm. had an older squad. They had to age out. But still, when you're able to spend $200 million in one season on fullbacks alone, right? not to mention, I'm Eric Laporte, Ruben Diaz, uh, yep. Ferran Torres this, this year, in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. to go with the 60 million odd pounds on Kevin De Bruyne and the 50 million pounds on Raheem Sterling and the 50 yep. million pounds on Riyad Mahrez and the 30 million on Gabriel Jesus. This is not a, a manager who's done a lot with a little. He's done a lot with a lot. And there is something to be said about the ability to turn talent into results. Yes, we'll give him that. Sure. Tactically, he's one of the most brilliant managers in the world, if not the most mm-hmm. brilliant. Tactically, sure. But... Tactics are only one part of being a great manager. They are. And I think what people are are choosing to ignore with Pep is that very fact, is that wherever he's only been at top clubs. He hasn't been at a second-tier team somewhere and brought them to the top level, or he hasn't taken a team that was fighting bankruptcy, for example, in Borussia Dortmund with Klopp and got mm-hmm. them to win back-to-back titles over Bayern Munich. Like the the, yeah. the Bayern Munich that's won what eight Bundesliga titles in a row, and yeah. So my point my point is with this that we're gonna see managers that may not win as many trophies as Pep, but are able to achieve 
massive results sure. without the resources. And the one I want to focus on is Julian Nagelsmann, the Leipzig manager, formerly of Hoffenheim. Because, Willie, yeah. can you tell me what Hoffenheim's been up to since he left Hoffenheim for sure. Leipzig? Not very good, let's just say. Absolutely that. nothing. And Leipzig is contending for the Bundesliga title this season. Exactly. And Nagelsmann is is about 10 years younger than Pat. He's, I think, a 33. Yeah. So... Sure. I mean, I, I said this, I think, on the last podcast before uh, before the, the holidays. He's going to mm-hmm. be in the Premier League in the next two years. Or one, one of him well, and Gerard, I think, are going to be yeah, in the Premier I mean, League in, in the know. next couple of years. And I, yeah, I mean, that would be, I mean, man, that would be an amazing signing. I mean, he's, look, he's top of the list, best managers in the world. So if a Premier League team could get him, then. All for it. That'd yeah, be awesome. Exactly. So oh. there's there are other managers in the world who I think have done more with less than Pep. That said, Pep has obviously he's won the most trophies of any manager, I think, besides Mourinho and mm-hmm. Ancelotti, but Ancelotti's been around forever. Mm-hmm. Um he's he'll continue to win trophies if he stops managing and decides to, I don't know, take a couple years off and then manage the Spanish national team, they'll probably win the World Cup. Sure. But <laughs> yep. again, it's one of those things where you do have to take the results that he's gotten and the sheer statistics mm-hmm. and the records that he's done with a little bit of a grain of salt because mm-hmm. no, how many te- how many teams around the world can match the resources of Manchester City? I'd argue one in PSG mm-hmm. because Real Madrid apparently yeah. don't have the money to sign anybody, which is bizarre because... <laughs> You always think Real Madrid have money for anyone. Uh, Barcelona are talking about selling players just so they can balance the books. Uh, yep. Bayern Munich are pretty, pretty financially sound when it comes to their signings, so they're not gonna. They're usually not gonna shell out a lot of players. They have money, but it's not something they do. But they don't have PSG money, uh, and then PSG they just don't care. Them and yep. then City don't care about money. They just they're gonna find a billion dollars and spend it on on Messi. Yeah, no, that's um, that's it's a look. It's a great point. I guess it's just with the talent he has. I don't know if there's many managers that could do better. No, I I agree. No, that's with true. with what he's had, he's done a phenomenal job, and he rightly is one of the best managers in the world. But I think we have to before all of the praise that comes with it, and before putting him on 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 lists above uh, a Mourinho, an Ancelotti, a Klopp, we have to talk about what they've had at their disposal. I mean, Klopp has had pretty uh scarce resources to put it mildly in his in his managerial career i mean they yeah. they didn't have much at minds at a second division and club and they really they became a bundesliga mainstay and then he Dortmund really, became a champions league mainstay because of klopp yeah no that's or they they returned to being a champions league mainstay i should say no that's that's um that's absolutely a, a great point on i i think um I just and I will just say I, I do think um, it would be extremely fascinating if Pep was not at a big club to see what he'd do. I yes. mean that's one of the million dollar questions. Yes, of course. Because I, at the end of the day, right? It's just like think about this, right? Like if you're at a club that's mid to small size, you just simply cannot play the way Pep wants to play. No, you will get trampled. Mm-hmm. So. The question is, is obviously he, I know I'm sure he knows as much about 
you know, football as anyone, but what would he do? How would he adjust? It would just be one of the most fascinating things we would know. Mm -hmm. Because bottom line is you just, his style of play, it just only works when you have the top club. Yep. So would he be able to adjust? I don't know. I don't know. Very interesting, you know? Yeah. But uh, before uh, before I hand the floor back over to you, I will mention Simeone was at the top of that list. I don't understand why. Because he's won what he's won La Liga what twice in his career, maybe once. once? Yeah, he's won one La Liga, uh, never won the Champions League, and he's won mm-hmm. one or two well, Copa del Reyes. Just you know, they they are they're in the mix every year. Um, yeah, and they they're they're consistently. And- they're consistently good, which is, you know, more than they were before he took over. And sure. I think I think what's what's in, incredible about it, Owen, is like think about it like this, okay? So Atletico Madrid looks like they may run away with the the La Liga title this year. They've been by mm. far, they've been. This looks like a, a a vintage Mourinho team, like literally, like they've only conceded. I think they've conceded probably like six goals the whole season. And we're many games in. But uh, the point I was going to make, on was that they've held steady. You know, Real Madrid has dropped off. When Zidane first took a break, they really dropped off. Um, and Barcelona's massively dropped off. Like, Simeone just... They, they, and they have a lot of new players now. Simeone just keeps it up. So, I mean, I think he's just... Never get bored of consistency. Yeah. I think that's one of the best. I, I just think that's so important to point out, Owen, because even some of even the best managers in the world, right, they just, their message gets old or they burn out. So the fact that, I don't even know how long Simeone's been, but the fact it's probably been 15 years or something and he's been there and they're still good, maybe less. Um, <laughs> I might be way off. It's just impressive. I think it's closer to 10, it. but let me double check. Okay. Um, but you know, you're absolutely right. It's, um, it's, so let's see, 20, he was, December 2011 is when he was unveiled as coach. So 10, 10 years. So about 10 years, yeah. All right. So the point is, that's a long time to yeah. stay at a club and keep it up. Look, yes. How many great managers can you name that have been in the club 10 years yeah. and still been good year after year? Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think Arsene Wenger was the only one I can think of, and, and Sir yeah. Alex Ferguson, obviously. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, those come to mind. So yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I think no, that's... that's that's good, and it's it's you know, from a longevity perspective, it's definitely definitely belongs in the argument, belongs in the conversation. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things of of the debate of would you rather be consistently good but not the best, or would you want to be the best for a couple years and steamroll everyone for a few years and then go back to being good, not great? No, I think so. I. Yeah, it's no, I think it's a really it's a really good debate for sure. Yeah. And and we can continue to talk about that, but you know, it's no, it's, it's one of it's those fascinating. It's again, it's one of those things that that comes with uh comes with the turf of being a sports fan, being a football fan and talking about uh management. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one, man. We we only can speculate about this stuff, but yep. you know. Yeah. All right. Yep. I've done rambling. What's what's you got? What do you got for us? All right. I got four. Oh boy. About four different sports. All right, let's let them fly. Let's start. All right, so I'll start with soccer. All right. Um, Bruno Fernandez is extremely overrated. I have no doubts in my mind that he's about it. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. All right, go for it. He's a luxury player. 
it's that simple. He he's a luxury player who doesn't play a lick of defense. Um, and the reality is, look, you look at the good number tens or advanced midfielders in the world. You look at Marco Royce, you know, Thomas Mueller, um, Kevin De Bruyne. Now, there's probably you know a lot more. Uh, Brahim Diaz now, even for his Um The common theme, Owen, is that these players only exist in the right infrastructure. And look, we know that this Manchester United team doesn't have an identity, but I'll tell you what they do have. The one thing that they do have is a pretty solid, I would say, defensive setup in the midfield um, in terms of, like, look, they have Matic, and McTominay or Fred, and their responsibilities are pretty clear. They're going to sit back in front of the top four, front four. And when you mentioned that, that, um, and so Fernandez is allowed to stay high up the field, not play much defense and roam freely. Um, and look, Paul Pogba has gotten a lot of criticism. First, um, and so the reality is that there are not that many teams in the world that play, that that position is, is kind of being phased out. Many of the best teams in the world don't have a player like that. And so my point is, I mean, there is a very possibility he could be at so many of these other teams in the world, and we'd be having a different conversation about him, not because he's a brilliant player, but just, you know, your style in the midfield, it's really important that you play defense and you work hard and you win the, control the midfield. And so... For that reason, I know he's been great for Man United, but I think he's already just because he, he found the right system. And look, I think there are so many players out there, though, that would be great in a better system. And I think this is the exact kind of position. There's lots of other really good attacking midfielders that would love to be on the team he is in. Mm. Right? Ozil, mm. I think, is better. He's better. <laughs> I, I'll say it not now. The curious case of so, Mesut Ozil. So the point is, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I think he's over, I think he's overrated. He, he's in great form, but it's just for whatever reason, him and Pogba, look, Pogba would love to be in his position with the freedom. Pogba's asked to play a deeper lying role, and everyone's like, well, you know, he doesn't play defense consistently. He's not always engaged in the defensive end. But the point is, like, yeah, so he's overrated because they have a system that's tailor made for him. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And honestly, as a Liverpool fan and going into the game this weekend, I'll plead the fifth as far as what I think of Fernandez, yeah. other than the fact that yeah. uh, if there is a penalty, he's going to take it and he's probably going to score. So yeah. that's all I've got on Bruno Fernandez. Okay. I mean, I, I don't hate the take. I don't I don't think it's completely off base. So, you know, that's all there's to it, okay. I guess. Okay. I like it. All right. Okay. No, no, I, you know, I, I appreciate that. Okay. So um, the... Second take I have is um, about the NFL. Mm. So um, I'm not picking them to win the Super Bowl this year. I'm not picking the Bills. I think they'll lose to the Packers. But um, I am picking Josh Allen to – I think that when you look at a lot of the player, I think that when it's all said and done, Josh Allen will be right there. I'm I'm putting Brady in his own category, 
But I think he'll be right there with, with Patrick Mahomes for how how good he is. And I think he'll be better than um, Drew Brees, uh, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, he'll be as good as Aaron Rodgers, I think, who's going to be three-time MVP and is unworldly, arguably the untalented quarterback. I just I believe in Josh Allen's talent and how good he is so much that I think he's going to be right there with the best quarterbacks we've seen up to this wow. point in our lifetime when it's all said and done. Wow. The white Michael Vick in that conversation. I and like it. And it's, look, it's, it's, look, um, the reality is that he's been in a great, he's in now, he's in a great offensive system with Brian Dable. Um, and you know, reality is look, Patrick Mahomes, he sat out a year and he got out of the gate fast and Josh Allen struggled his two years. But I mean, his game is very similar to Patrick Mahomes, and he was putting up underworldly numbers this year. And so mm. I just believe in his talent that much, and I think you're watching a generational player. You're watching the, a guy with video game physical tools put it all together. So, yeah. Wow, I, I like it. And it's because it's it's not one we it's one that's gonna gaining more traction, especially how they played this year and how the Bills were were this year. But yeah. I, I do like it. It's it's you know, it's a take that I think more people yeah. will start to have. I think it's certainly if they, yeah. they win their next game against uh Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, no, it's interesting. Um Yeah. I like okay. it. Okay. So I'll give I'll give two more. All right. Next one's about the NBA. Um I think that there's one player in the NBA, not one, there's more than one, but one player in my mind that's overrated, pretty overrated, um, which is Steph Curry. And I'm going to give you the reason why. I'm going to give you the reason why. And here's the reason why, okay? Steph Curry, don't get me wrong, is an incredible player, but for the amount of status that we give him, he's not worth it. Steph Curry's the best shooter that we ever lived. You know, the Warriors, when those four, that was five years, they were one of the best teams we've ever seen. But there's two reasons why I think that Steph Curry is very overrated, um, despite how good of talent is. Number one is that at the end of the day, I care about winning. And the reality of the situation is that, in my opinion, to be a true to be when we talk about these superstars and like where Steph Curry's ranked, okay? The reality is that you have to be able to carry your team. And mm. the reality is that I think Klay Thompson was the best player on that team, you know? And we're seeing it this year. If he was really as good as a lot of these other NBA superstars, Kevin Durant, I think James Harden is incredible. Um Steph Curry would like right now He's dragging that team, but they're they're dragging. They're they lost today. I want to say they're probably eighth place in the West. Like if you're a superstar, if you're a, a, a Hall of Famer, that's just not good enough. I'm sorry, I don't care that Clay Thompson's out. If you're that good, you you should be a walking playoff berth, and no questions about it. James Harden is a walking playoff berth. Russell Westbrook's a walking playoff berth. Midwestern Conference. James Harden by himself, is good enough to be a contender. Same thing with Kevin Durant. Kawhi Leonard, same thing. LeBron James, obviously. 
Steph Curry, I mean, yes, he's on a revenge tour. Okay, he can drop 50. But, and look, I know he's small, so it's harder to do certain things on the court. And he's And he's really good. But my point is, like, you know, you can be really good, but if you can't lift up your guys and... Um, you know, why should you be considered in the all all-time great plus um, you know, stratosphere that we put him in? That's a take I don't think I don't think I've heard. I don't think we've had anything like that on the show because sure. I think most of what we talk about is pretty consistent with what a lot of people have talked about either not necessarily talking heads or analysts or columnists or whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. uh, but also just, just fans in general that we talk about. But this one is pretty otherworldly. And I, I don't say that because I completely disagree. I think, you know, would you, would you agree he's probably the most one-dimensional superstar we have in the league right now? Yes. And, and because of, and, and, and that's part of what I'm saying, Owen, is because what now, and, and people have it differently, but I think a superstar on his own for what we consider Steph Curry should be able to lift the team. And the problem is he's not that kind of player. You know, Steph Curry is the greatest shooter. And look, don't get me wrong, he's one of the greatest players of all time. But one of the great traits of guys that really lift their team is they're they're just great, uh, they're great floor generals. Mm. You know? Yeah. Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic has the Mavs a playoff contender because he creates for his teammates. Steph Curry doesn't really. I mean, he does a little bit. He does some. He does create some for his teammates. And yes, they have a more free-flowing offense, but James, like them, James Harden, like, you know, James Harden won an assist title. You know, he's mm. getting great shots for his teammates. And, okay, the reason, the, in part, the offense is so Curry-centric is he doesn't have the ability to not only score 40, but have 11, 12 assists every night. Like Westbrook does, like he did, like Doncic does, you know, like he doesn't have the defense that Kawhi Leonard does. He doesn't have so I, I, you know, I I think that the point is obviously when you put him with Clay Thompson together, it brings out the best in them. Um, and that offense is predicated on ball movement, but when Clay Thompson's not there. This free-flowing offense doesn't work as well when you don't have mm. other as good players around you. Yeah. So that's you know, that's a take. Yeah. No, I like it, and I think it's it's also because the Warriors, the first year they won the title, what was it 2015? They yeah. they played kind of that Spurs like that Greg Popovich like system where it's it, the the, yeah. the offense is predicated on passing, moving, and Which then is, that one extra pass, and right. that works when you have the shooters you do, but right. all of a sudden. Yeah. They started when they got Kevin Durant. They started just becoming a a, a, sh- a three point sure. shooting team, and that's it. They don't yeah. do anything else. Yeah, sure. And and as I read, and the point is like you're. I think you're absolutely right. And look, their shooting is a lot worse this year. When you point is when you take that away and you take the 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 system they run fits the, him really well, but the weaknesses become more apparent. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's that tick. No, I agree. I don't. Then, I don't disagree at all. I think it's. I think oh, you, wow. you bring up a lot of good points. So okay. Yeah. Sure. And he's struggled in the playoffs as well. But mm. um. All right. Number four. Um. Drum roll, please. Drum roll. Okay. So I'm. I'm picking the Braves to win the World Series. Oh no. <laughs> so, Jinx. 
Oh, I just think they were. One Please don't make a good case. Today. I think Charlie Morton is that piece. I think in the emergence of Ian Anderson, they're going to get Soroka back. They have, they were, oh, sometimes, you know, it's uh, watching sports enough, right? Teams that are good enough to win, they just need to break through. And the Braves did break through. Now, they didn't win a World Series, but they broke through. They got the monkey off their back. They won a playoff series. And they came very close to making the World Series and very easily could have won it. <sighs> this is the year. I, I think this is the year. I, I really no, do. Don't do that. Don't give me hope, Willie. Don't give me hope. I'm picking it. You heard it here. Uh, so in the span of two days, two unbiased national baseball journalists, although we're, we're not sports journalists, we're just, we're just schmucks with microphones, uh, um, have decided to pick the Braves in 2021 to win the World Series. I yeah. personally never pick Atlanta teams to win their titles because I know it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And... I have a pretty good success rate as of now, so uh, I'm I'm gonna not dispute your take, but I'm just gonna say um, I I appreciate the take. I appreciate it. I don't yeah. agree with it, but I appreciate it. Okay. I mean, yes, the Braves did play in the biggest playoff game in my lifetime, or at least the biggest playoff game in my uh, I guess conscious lifetime. I mean, I was what ten nine months old when they won the World Series. Mm-hmm. So uh, that doesn't really count. And since then, it's been make the playoffs, first round exit, make the playoffs, first round exit, make the playoffs, first round exit. But they played in the NLCS for the first time since 1998. And well, you can't really overstate how important that is for a franchise. Um, yes, it's a completely different generation of players, but when you finally kind of shake that weight of expectation of, okay, we won the division, for the third year in a row, now we're you know we're in the playoffs. Yeah. We're we're not just there to be knocked out by the Dodgers in the first round. We're there to be knocked out by the Dodgers in the a the NLCS. So, yeah. do they take a next step? I don't know because the wild card is going to be the offense this year, outside of Marcelo Ozuna because we don't know if Ozuna is going to resign because he he one. was That's on a one year deal. Josh Donaldson the year before was also on a one year deal. Josh Donaldson yep. ended up going to Minnesota left, because left, because the Braves yeah. don't like to pay players <laughs> yep. multi- big contracts. I mean, I think after the just the BJ Upton or the Melvin Upton uh, deal, yep. they they were kind of like, okay, no more big contracts to to superstars, especially on the wrong side of thirty. And yep. it wasn't even that it was that that big of a contract. It was just that kind of commitment to a player for more than a few years, unless that player is you know like a Chipper Jones. You know, yeah, one sure. of the franchise greats, one of the you know first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, so it's 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 one of those things where it'll all depend on how the team gets built again. I mean, yes, the core is there: Swanson, Riley, Acuna, Albies, Freeman. Yes, it, there's a core there as well. But you know, every one of those players, with the exception of Freddie Freeman, has some sort of Achilles heel, and and really Freeman's Achilles heel has been his. Uh, his injury history. And last year was the first year he really was healthy all year and, and ended up winning MVP because of it. So, you know, outside of that, I don't really see any reason of being super optimistic about the Braves this year. Uh, Again, I say that every year, but this year in particular doesn't feel different. I mean, yes, last year was a good run, but it it felt more like a one-off than it did a, a trend. 
Interesting. You're not on the trend. Okay. No, no. I, I mean, will the, not be on the trend until they win a World Series. Yeah. Here's the only thing I will say, too, on that they have going for them is that, you know, look, I, I, I just think typically, right, like teams really build off. And, you know, I, I just I think they're they're more ready than some of these other teams like. The Mets, I don't think you can expect them in year one to to do it. The Padres, I mean, I they might be just not quite there yet, maybe. Um, I just think that when you knock on the door enough, eventually you break through. And the point is, maybe you don't win it, but a World Series is coming. Will they take advantage of the opportunity? But this team is too good to not make one World Series. And do they win it? That's up to them, but they will make a World Series. Most most good teams, um, other than the old Atlanta Braves, yeah. <laughs> uh, do, do at least make one World Series. We'll see about so, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Since since 2005, it's been it's been painful, and even even before 2005, I mean, it, it was what 19, 1995, yep. uh, 98, 99, yeah, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, but still, hey, that's three, three, three teams. Three, three world, three World Series appearances in that <laughs> fifteen year, fifteen year stretch with one win, which is really incredible. The, the most division titles of any team in baseball, and uh, one World Series to show for it. Gotta love it. I mean, and again, and I get, I get a lot of flack from my roommate and and other other fans of other teams that have never been to a World Series or rarely or barely make the playoffs. I'd almost rather be that because. You know, if you're going to make the playoffs and lose in the first round or make the playoffs and get to the NLCS and blow a 3-1 lead to the world champions, like, what's the point? Like, you you don't play to say, oh, yay, I went to the playoffs. No, you play to win, yeah. and anything less than that is disappointing, for sure. And it's more, the the closer you get to that goal, the closer you get to achieving any goal, the harder it's going to, the, the more it's going to hurt when you come up short. So, yeah. It's again. It's one of those things that's like, I understand the criticism of my take of this, but yeah. I'm not gonna back down from this. It's it's hard, dude. It's really hard. Yeah, hard to to keep coming back to the table with that same optimism, that same feeling of it's hard. This is our year. Yeah. But I I think I'm I I guess two of us think it is, and you're not on the train. Yeah. Oh well, we'll we'll see. You come October, the train's and I, not on the station, but you can hop on. Yeah, uh, you know, I could, uh, who knows, the end of October 2021, I could be very drunk for several days in a row celebrating the first championship for the city of Atlanta in 26 years. Or for our first big three championship yeah, in 26 years. Yeah, um, man, have a drink but, to that. Drink yeah, to that. Or, or 20, I don't know, 26 hopefully, to be precise. Uh, man, hopefully the... Uh, COVID will be behind us and the uh, Atlanta nightclubs will be open. Yeah. Well, it will probably won't be behind us. It'll probably be uh, more under control and, and sure. we won't be in necessarily a pandemic, more of an epidemic or something yeah. less restricting. And we can mm-hmm. slowly resume society right. as it was. I got a question for you. Yeah. All right. So question. So say Atlanta Braves win the title they're going to some nightclub and they ask uh, like one of the Atlanta hip hop artists to perform 
at the after party, who who do they ask? Hmm. They have to ask an Atlanta artist to perform. Yeah. Hmm. It's a tough one. I don't know because because yeah, you could talk about the big ones like Future, or Migos, or Two Chains. <sighs> honestly, honestly, I'd probably say Big Boy. Really? I'd probably say Big Boy because I don't know if Andre 3000 would perform. Uh, right. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe they'd get Outkast to come back for a, a reunion special. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, that'd be awesome. That'd be a lot of fun. But it, wow. you know, I I don't know if if a scenario like that would you know. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I I mean, just because because of the circumstances and because of what Outkast means to the city of Atlanta. I think they would be a better fit than some of the newer artists. Um, I think Usher could also be a good one. Um, I think Ludacris could be a good one. Um, yeah. Kind of the, you know, the, the late 90s, early 2000s Atlanta hip-hop scene is, is, okay. would be more indicative. Um, but yeah. you know, it's a fun thought exercise for sure. But, but, but you know, oh, they're trying to party. I mean, I don't know if they're trying to you know, have really meaningful, deep music. Just saying. I, in this I, fictional I, I scenario. don't know. Yeah, this this fictional scenario that will not happen in my lifetime. They want to bang. Guarantee you. Yeah. They want to bang. Well, then they'd go, they'd go with something new, they, whoever the new Atlanta artist is at the time. But, okay. you know, yeah. never count out Big Boy. Yeah, Big yeah. Boy is a good, is a good what was What was it? Was it last year's Super Bowl halftime show where Outkast was supposed to perform and, and they brought out Big Boy for like 10 seconds? Or was it like two years ago? I can't remember who it was. More than that. Yeah, it was a while ago. They they said they're gonna bring out uh uh they said Big Boy was gonna be there. Yeah. Or no 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 it was it was two years ago, it was a Super Bowl in Atlanta. Right. And I think it was um Did two chains? Oh no, it was Adam Levine, that's who it was. And they brought out yeah. Big Boy for ten seconds. That's right. That's right. I was I like, how are you gonna have a Super Bowl a Super Bowl in Atlanta? the literal capital of East Coast yep. hip-hop and not bring out Big Boy for more than one, like, what? He deserves more of a... Uh, and, and, Definitely. and on top of that, Adam Levine was just awful. I'm sorry for anyone who's a big fan he of, really of Maroon 5 or Adam Levine. He was terrible. Sorry. I, I'm really not apologizing. He was terrible. Like, Atlanta, of all places. Atlanta, and you go with Adam Levine. Come on, Big Boy, 2 Chains, Migos, Ludacris, <laughs> Usher, anyone, please... Please, CeeLo, so uh, dude, I'll settle for CeeLo Green. I don't even know what he's oh, done lately, but like, come on. He's just made old music, yeah. <sighs> <sighs> Sorry, I don't know. I don't mean to get so animated over that, but it's like that. I just remembered yeah. how much I hated that halftime show. Yeah, they. I. I will say this: for being there, they really blew it. They, that like. was horrendous. I mean, the, the Super question, Bowl itself really was also the horrendous. Is, the question is: did they ask people to come and they didn't? <laughs> probably not. Well, who's going to turn down the Super Bowl halftime show? Yeah, right? seriously, they probably didn't ask the right people. I think it was probably. Well, actually, no. I remember. I, I was it that year or the year before that they asked Rihanna and she said no because of Colin Kaepernick. I think it was that year they asked her and she said no. Oh, that's a good point. Because uh, because. Mm -hmm. They might have asked a few no, artists. No, I think it was before that. Yeah, but but they might have asked a few artists, and they they're like, "You're still treating Colin Kaepernick like trash." Uh, no. Oh, maybe. Yeah. No, that's a good point. So, I I forgot about that. Whoever uh, has yeah, insider information yeah. on that, hit us up on uh, on social media. Hit us up. Let yeah, us know what's what's good. Sure. Yeah, um, that's true. Anyways, what a fun thought exercise this this uh, podcast spiraled into at the end there. I like that. More stuff like this, please. Yeah.
<laughs> um, I, well, I'll just say there is probably a lot of fans watching that like to watch Adam Levine. But, you know. Yeah. Well, more family friendly than Big Boy, but still, come on, it's it's Big Boy for physical reasons. It's Big Boy, yeah. Anyways, uh, we've been rambling for almost two and a half, for more than two and a half hours on this. Yeah, so uh, I think it's time for us to hop off and, and resume our daily lives as the schmucks we are with, with a podcast. Um, Willie, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Hope the Browns pull off the epic upset. That would be, that would be something, but yep. remember to temper those expectations, especially if they jump out to a big lead. Yeah, seriously, um, man. But uh, glad to be back on the uh, the uh, the old podcast grind recording these shows. Uh, we'll be back at it next week, same time, same place. Uh, you can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts, anchor.fm, and just look up Hot Takes Only, uh, and all the links to the socials and whatnot and previous episodes will be in the description as well. Uh, be sure to get in touch, let us know what you think about the episodes. Uh, got a lot of fun guests planned for 2021. Uh, definitely a re uh, a return of the the Arsenal squad, the uh, yeah. the the lads, if you will. Um, That'd be great. Talking Arsenal at some point <laughs> later in the season, probably ahead of ahead of the Champions League knockouts or or whatever have you. We'll we'll figure something out, but a lot to look forward to in 2021. So thank you for not for Arsenal. For what's it? I said not for Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy uh, well thanks for listening folks this has been episode 28 of hot takes only he's Willie I'm Owen we'll see you next time